How you living? How you doing? How you feeling? I think all of us, me, Ingber Westbrook, sitting here with a little bit more poundage on the package after a big Thanksgiving. Let's start off positive for two reasons. Number one, the Eagles haven't played yet, so they're not going to ambush this episode. And number two, I hope Thanksgiving was good. Ingber, you had a non-traditional dish. Did it hit? Uh, it ended up being much more traditional than I was expecting. I, I kind of, I, I wussed out at the last second. I just made a sweet potato casserole because I didn't want to screw it up. And I'm always feeding a three and a half year old daughter that like, I don't want to mm. throw in anything wacky or wild that she's not going to enjoy. And then I put all this work into it. So it was a sweet potato casserole. It was buttery. It was decadent. Had a little sugary, crunchy pecan thing on the top. It was fantastic. Westbrook, best dish you had for Thanksgiving. Before I get to my dish, I have to admit when David mentioned the casserole, I was a little, you're like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll try the casserole. Then he mentioned the pecans, and ah, I'm out. Oh, no. No pecan. You're I, a non-pecan I, guy, too? I believe that nuts don't go in cake or on sweet potato dishes because soft things, when I'm, I'm used to having soft things in my mouth, like sweet potato or cake or something like that, I don't want to just bite into a nut. Like a like a peanut or so a first a pecan. you don't like peanut butter and now I'm realizing that you're an anti nut guy. I love peanuts. Here's the thing: I love peanuts, but I, if I'm eating a brownie or a cookie, I don't want to be biting into peanuts. You don't like have a walnut topped brownie? Oh no, never, never. Mm-mm. What about a candied nope. walnut on a Sunday? Never. Nope. There are certain things I actually don't like nuts on ice cream. So there are there are definitely moments where I think a nut is too far. Uh, but yeah, for some reason, the textural contrast between the nice creamy sweet potatoes with the, yes. the little bite to the it's pecans, all about contrast of texture. Oh, love that. Wait, so Westbrook, I I'm, I'm going to get into mine just because we're on the topic of cakes and nuts. Um, I ordered <laughs> for just uh, me and Enem. Uh, a pecan pie, oh. and I had never, I had never had one. I'm typically an apple pie guy, and I Love got it from pie. some place around here, and we ate the whole thing over three days. And it was nice. that combined with a vanilla bean ice cream was anything, everything I needed. Do you guys call it pecan or pecan? It just depends who I'm talking to. If, if David says. <laughs> Pecan, pecan, whatever he said, I'll just repeat it. I want to know who are the people that you say pecan to, because I think it's going to be funny. (laughs) I never comes up in my, I I never talk to my friends about nuts. We eat peanuts. Every now and then they'll have like little cashews, what I think are terrible, but peanuts are really the only nuts. My question is, if you're sitting at the dinner table with, let's say, (laughs) Jeffrey Lurie, and he goes, hey, Westbrook, which one do you like less? Apples or pecans or pecans would you say to the to the owner of the eagles pecan i think i would go pecans but i probably whatever he referenced it as a probably gotcha. i would go with that one but you know it is Ingber, are you tomato tomato type of thing so i think i'm actually a third pronunciation i think i hit the first syllable i say it's a pecan pie mm. which mm. to me just sounds right but the, the real argument in my household is do you put a little bit of an l in the word almond when you say it or do you say almond Almond. I feel like they're very simple. What do you say? Almond? almond I don't hit almond, the L like that almond. hard, but I say almond. Yeah, I like, almond. I have a, I have a nod. Yeah. I have an homage. Get to some the almonds. Yeah. 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 Give me some yeah, almonds. I don't say it's the like almond. all and then mond. Yeah. I realized that I say all three pronunciations. Ingber, I didn't even think about that one. That's the one that comes out first. And then I, I fear that I'm sounding too country. So I, I end up going, I go, oh, I love pecan, pecan. Pecan. I say all three in a row. Like, yeah. 
Westbrook, how was the food though? What was the best dish? Because well, knowing you, what was it? It was air. Is that what you enjoyed? I know my, my father-in-law made a delicious jerk Turkey. Um, they baked it, they put it in the oven, but I mean, it was absolutely delicious. Now my, 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 my in-laws, they're Panamanian and it was just great. Um, and my, my wife made a mystery dish, which um, had stuffing in it, some, some type of meat and some sausage. Um, and it, it was actually really, really good, but it's still a mystery as to exactly what was in it and how she made it. So there's that as well. I think the mystery the, was that it was pecans. <laughs> I think there was like a was dump pe- truck load pecans of pecans and Reese's. In that stuffing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the rotisserie chicken pot pie that we made was unbelievable for three days. Like it was great. The other thing that Ina made was Patty LaBelle's seven cheese mac and cheese. Ooh. And um, I miss Ooh. it. Seven cheese. I mean, that's first of all, there's a commitment to eating pecan pie for three days straight. I mean, that, that's a commitment. And, and obviously, a, a, your trainer is going to be pissed off with you this week. But that's oh, what yeah. Thanksgiving is all about. I worked yeah. out this morning by myself. I was like, I feel nice. disgusting. Can you, you name, else nice. feels disgusting? Can you name oh. the seven cheeses off the top of your head? Uh, there was a sharp cheddar, a mild cheddar, a mozzarella, a Velveeta, a um, pepper jack, yes. a Monterey jack, and the seventh was a provolone. Oh, provolone is oh. one of the best melty cheeses ever. Yeah. So that was the seven. And I, I can't believe I just did. I can name the seven cheeses, but I can't name the seven wonders of the world. <laughs> the eighth wonder <laughs> is Brian Westbrook. Okay. Boom. So because there's no Eagles, I felt unobstructed to watch games yesterday. I watched Derrick Henry take people's soul. I watched Tyree Kill look absolutely unstoppable. I watched Aaron Rodgers dance all over the Chicago Bears. But I'm curious, Westbrook, um, what was what was the one storyline that you found the most interesting? Whether it was the COVID changes, whether it was um, you know the things that I mentioned before. What was the one the the the, the Hinton starting at quarterback for the Broncos? What was the storyline that caught your attention? That was the storyline that caught my attention the most. I mean, you you talking about starting an NFL game without a quarterback, not a, without a guy that was in the quarterback room, um, is weird. But it, it just made me start to think. So within the NFL season, from week to week, you're focused, you're stressed out, you're thinking about winning games. And that was the way that I always look at it when I was at the Eagles. Then we went to the 49ers. We weren't a very good team. The team was much, much looser than I was used to. We weren't good. We were young. And so your focus wanes. It changes, right? And so I was had to be thinking about the guys on the Broncos as they're going into Sunday, like, hey, we don't even have a quarterback playing the position. How could you focus? How could you think about that football game? Yeah, they, and, wanted, and to have was, their, they wanted to have their like, quality control guy. Be yeah. a quarterback. Yeah, we tried. We, you know, we actually tried that um, when I was with the Eagles with Matt Nagy. How about I, they, that? They reported that you story. So that. I didn't realize that. that you that Matt Nagy was a coach while you were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Could uh, Matt he was like Nagy an assistant. sling it? Oh, he could sling it. Now I played against him in college as well. Mm-hmm. He, he was. He went to Delaware. I was at Villanova. We played against each other in college. I mean, good arm. I mean, really good arm, but not an NFL arm. But more importantly, the, the story to me was. Wait, wait, wait. What was the situation? Why did you guys think about playing Nagy? 
I think we had a bunch of guys hurt or something to that effect. And, you know, we're going into a preseason game. Just you had to just get reps. We needed guys. Yeah, you can't be do that because then all of a sudden, like, Randy Moss is the wide receivers coach. And, That's right. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, it messes up the salary cap or something like that. So, yeah, it, it was Well, no, mad, then but- you would just stock your coaching staff with guys that just retired. And it's like, oh, you know what? Anquan you Bolden, an extra guy. our strength and conditioning guy is going to play this week. That's right. You you have an extra guy with that wasn't available to everyone else. So yeah, I'm with you there. But I, I was just thinking, how fun would it have been? And I know the guys on Denver knew that they were going to lose the, coming into the game. They already knew that playing against the Saints and stuff. But how fun would it have been just to be on that team? How loose you could have been? I mean, we have we have no quarterback. We got a guy off the practice squad that's not even a quarterback anymore playing quarterback. I, I think it would have been fun until you got hit in the mouth on Sunday and you complete one ball. But it, it was it was interesting because of that. It was interesting also when I heard the coach after the game say, our nice. quarterbacks were irresponsible. You know, they put us in a bad spot, which is 100% true. Um, so I, that, that was a game that I watched the most, actually. Mm. Ingber, it looked like you had a joke on the tip of your tongue that I'd like you to get out. <laughs> no, actually, uh, the the creator of Gridiron Heights, he often asks for specific jokes that people can throw in. If you watch that show, there's like Easter eggs in the background. And it's our guy, Dennis. He just he just said to Slack to everyone saying, need stuff for a Bears classroom. And the image of Matt Nagy teaching a class in this week's episode sounds very funny. I'm excited for that. Episode. That is very funny. Uh, I th- I think what you said at the end there, Westbrook, was the biggest thing, is that Vic Fangio came out and did not say the NFL wronged us. We didn't get enough. He said, our quarterbacks who are supposed to lead put us in this situation. I texted Ingber over the weekend on Sunday, and I said, I do think it's very interesting that the two violators, the two biggest violators of this earlier in the year, both benefited on Sunday big time. The fact that the Saints, who we've now seen multiple times with multiple violations, they face a team without a quarterback. And the Tennessee Titans, remember, they were scheduling practices on their own and and their coaches weren't. They got to play an Indianapolis Colts team, missing maybe their top two defensive linemen and easily their best defensive player in DeForest Buckner. And Derrick Henry had 175 yards rushing in the first half Mm -hmm. and three touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Um, it, It is interesting to me that... If you have a COVID problem early in the week, you are protected. And if you have a COVID problem on Friday or Saturday, you're shit out of luck. And to me, it's, and and me and Ingber had a good chat and Ingber, I would love for you to chime in with your point now, which is they kind of signed up for this, but I do feel like on a week to week basis, Ravens get violations on Tuesday and we're sitting over here pushing the game to Tuesday. We're pushing their next week game back. And then you got Denver and Indy getting it on a Friday. And they're like, sorry, bro. And that yeah. that to me is the fact that there's two or three days that change an entire schedule. Just They changed crazy. a primetime game, though. I mean, Thanksgiving night is a primetime game. They changed that game, which is for a league that is all about the money and viewership. It was it was a little strange for me. Sorry to, to cut you off there. Dude. Not at all. My, my point was just that if we go back to July and August, when we were all thinking the NFL season's not going to happen. Oh man, that's going to stink. We're not going to have football on Sundays. 
these owners, these teams, these coaches, these players, they made a calculated decision to play football across the country during a pandemic. The idea of unpredictable things happening and outbreaks happening was an inevitability. It was 100% going to happen. And they took on those risks that maybe our team will be the beneficiary of playing a team that's missing its quarterback. Maybe our team will be, you know, have to, to miss a week or screw up its bye. They knew all those things going in. So to say that like a team really got screwed this week or didn't, it's like in the wash, ultimately you're playing an entire NFL season. And I think those teams would take that uh, over any specific case where, oh man, it really stinks for our guys this week. Mm. It, it, the the thing is, to, were you going to say something else, Westbrook? You know, I, I was thinking about the Ravens situation, but I mean, that's they seem like they've had a case, or at least one case, every single day for the last week. How are they even going to even try to play a game tomorrow? Their their practices got canceled today. It's as if the universe is conspiring to not allow this game to happen. They're, mm-hmm. They they can't practice today, and then apparently there's snowfall expected, and so they don't know when they're going to fly. You reach yeah. a point where and 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 to be honest, the Steelers have now been on the wrong side of this twice. Remember, mm-hmm. they were supposed to play Tennessee, and that game got pushed back, and so and they were forced to take a bye. Eric Ebron tweeted out both weeks, back in week two and then this week. Think about it. You, you're supposed to have a bye, or, or you don't know that you have to buy, and now you have a bye. So like, I know how you guys treat your bye weeks. You guys plan all year for the bye week. You're going to do something on that week for your family and all that. Yeah. And then the week of Thanksgiving – you're not going to have a Thanksgiving because you're playing. So you tell all your family no. And then all of a sudden, hey, surprise, you're going to have Thanksgiving tomorrow. And it's, I, I'm just thinking about the humans on the Steelers. And Ebron has been the one that's complained both times. But I, I know that that bye week, in terms of how you guys plan your time, is so important. No, it's huge. I mean, when you think of the bye week, you're thinking vacation, just get away from football. You're also thinking about getting your body back. And if, so their bye week was moved to week two, right? That's how it worked? Yeah. It was, it, was, it was early on in the season. Whatever it was, it was really, really early in the season. At that point, you have to play, you know, 13, 14 games straight. Mm. That's the problem with having your bye week early because now you don't have that week vacation, not necessarily to get away, but just to get your body back. And mm. playing 14 weeks straight is hard to do, especially if you don't get that number one seed and get that, that week off and when you go into the playoffs. I mean, it's, it's a hard thing to do. You know, yeah, the Steelers certainly have gotten the short end of a stick a bunch of times. But at the same time, they're kicking ass. And so more power to them. And, and I think that the teams that are handling it the best, you got to look at the coaches and you got to look at them and go, man, they, they have a tight ship right now. And I think that Mike Tomlin deserves more praise for that as well. Thursday, uh, Deshaun Watson lived up to all the hype that we were hopping on him on Monday and came out there and just shows you time and time again, he is the elite of the elite. And yeah. I did, I, I don't remember Ingber cause I didn't, I don't go back and rewatch episodes. Did I say that this could be the week that Patricia gets fired because it is a national standalone game, but his ass is fired. I just feel like I feel like we did predict that too, you, but I don't know. You definitely mentioned it. And now the funniest thing that's happening is that Lions fans are donating to Deshaun Watson's favorite charity <laughs> as almost like a thank you for like, hey, thanks for ousting our guy on national television. We'd love to donate to your yeah. worthy causes. Man. And, but it's interesting that now that Matt now Matt the conversation. Oh, go for it. Well, but just think about it. I mean, the one thing that you always want to have when you're a brand new head coach 
is weapons. You want to have weapons. I'm talking about the quarterback position, wide receiver, and a decent defense. And you've had Stafford, who is not a great quarterback, but he's solid. He's a good quarterback. You've had weapons at the receiver position. Defensively, they struggled throughout. And he hasn't been able to figure things out at all. I mean, they've gotten they, – they've either stayed the same or gotten worse since he's gotten there. Mm. And they've gotten certainly got worse since Jim Caldwell has, has, was fired. But they've gotten worse since he's gotten there. That's – you just wonder what the heck is going on. You, you have a good opportunity in that division, a good opportunity, because there were some down years for those teams, and he couldn't figure it out. Of all the quarterbacks that have come from under Belichick, this was the experiment that was the closest – to trying to recreate it. You bring in Bob Quinn at GM, who was in Mm -hmm. that front office. You bring Patricia. And let's be honest, look at the roster. The team is full of former Patriots, from Jamie Collins to Danny Shelton to, uh, uh, I mean, they they went out and they paid Trey Flowers all of that money. So they really tried to go, let's just get all those guys. We're going to use the same schemes. We're going to have the same guy drafting. Remember, they drafted TJ Hawkinson because they needed a Gronk. Like they really tried to build the same team and it didn't work. And it's the same thing that I see in business. Oh, I was a part of Amazon. Oh, I was a part of Google. If you're not the decision maker, you're along for the ride. And, and my thing is, and I, I, I hate saying that there's a visual aspect to coaches, but I've always thought that if you're going to be the hard ass dude that makes your team run and is grinding all the time, this, this is going to sound, I, I'm going to listen to a guy that's grinding like Brian Flores than a guy that looks like Matt Patricia. There's just something to that too. But he, it didn't work and it's over. And I, I, it's so interesting that every coach that has fired, that, that has been fired, Houston, Detroit, now they're talking about it with Anthony Lynn, the Chargers, which we're going to get into later. The first name that is being said for all of them is Eric Bieniemy, And because they're all looking at the quarterback position, what you're seeing out of the Chiefs, but... I want to see Eric Bieniemy on the Texans. I think him and Deshaun Watson, I think no matter what's happening on all the other teams, the number one coaching job for me is Houston because you get Deshaun Watson. You know, so I was around Eric Bieniemy for a few summers because he was with the Eagles kind of doing internship and stuff. And he reminds me of Deuce so much because you talk about leaders of men, guys that have played the position, have been around the league long enough and they understand how to get guys in the right direction, to, to teach in the right way. Just think about this, and I think this is a, a, a big-time key to Andy's success and other coaches, but Andy has the ability to coach every position. Offensive line, you need to punch better. You need to take yep. better steps. Quarterback, take a better drop. Same type of thing with Eric Bieniemy, And I think of guys like Mike Vrabel. I watch him go out there and do different things with defensive linemen and linebackers. And, of course, he has experience there, but he's also coaching up guys with, to run better routes as well. He's doing mm-hmm. different things there. Eric Bieniemy, when, when I think about all the things he did for me throughout my career as far as his help during the summers, um, he would be a perfect combination with Deshaun Watson because you're talking about trying to get the best out of Deshaun Watson but more importantly the best out of the guys around him he's a guy that can do it he, he will get a job of hopefully this season we talk about leadership and coaches and I want to stay on the enemy for one more time there's the schematic aspect there's analytics there's decision making there's time management as a leader of men do you you have no doubt that the enemy can control a locker room from the first day 
No doubt about it, because that's that's the type of guy he is. He is the type of guy that's going to control the locker room and it's going to be his way. And here's how locker rooms work. When you get a guy that comes from the success that the enemy has had, especially in Kansas City, and, and you've been a bad team, that's why you have a new coach, you have no choice but to fall in line. This is a great example. Andy Reid leaves Philadelphia, goes to Kansas City. They got a, they got a bunch of uh, pro bowlers on that team. Five or six, might be seven pro bowlers on that team, but they've been terrible. They didn't have the right leadership. Now you bring Houston another team and he has an opportunity there. Now they they want to win. Those guys want to win. They want to do the right thing and you have talent. You already have the quarterback. You have decent receivers. Now you got to find a way to get a run game going, protect your quarterback and get your defense back up to par. That's something that he can do, something that he certainly can inspire them to as they draft a little bit better as well. I have no confidence, no, no, no. I have all the confidence in the world that whatever situation he goes into, he'll be successful. Earlier this year, we're going to talk about leaders of men. To to just wrap up Thanksgiving, um, I said earlier this year when Ron Rivera went for two to beat the game against the Giants and came out after the game and said, we need to teach this team how to win. Mm-hmm. Alex Smith is that perfect quarterback that's not going to lose you a game and he can rally around guys too. But to watch what they got right now with Terry McLaurin and Antonio Gibson and that defense. Now, granted, Dallas's chance to win that game exploded on that first drive when they lost Zach Martin and their other tackle, Cam Irving. Like when those two guys went down, the game was pretty much over. But this is the first time that I can remember in the last since, – since Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, and Kirk Cousins were together on Washington. This is the first time, so what, five, six years, that I've looked at that franchise and went, wow, they're on a good trajectory. The Washington football team is on a really good trajectory, and I know that Ingber and I on a betting episode a few weeks ago said – that my long shot chance to win the division was Washington at plus 350 or something like that. And now Daniel Jones is getting an MRI on his hamstring. The Cowboys offensive line has exploded. And me and Westbrook and Engber are the biggest Eagles fans you'll ever see. And we don't think they got a chance. Washington could win this division. Well, they're not going to make a bunch of mistakes. Alex Smith traditionally is going to get you in the right position as far as not turning the ball over. And that defensive line is just full of first-round picks. <laughs> that's, what, that's how the 49ers built their defensive line, just be bad and just find first-rounders that can get out to the quarterback. And now they have a bunch of guys that get out to the quarterback. You mentioned Gibson, and I, I, I've kind of been tracking him all season long. From a guy that didn't play running back very much in college to now is getting an opportunity on a team that wasn't supposed to be very well, but you have a coach that believes in the run game. Ron Rivera believes in the run game, supporting his defense in that way, playing smash-mouth football. He's done a really good job. And, of course, we, we know what Terry McLaurin is. He's a deep threat. He's a guy that can go get it and, and, and make plays for you down deep in the field. Antonio Gibson is what the modern-day running back should be. And the fact that it's Ron Rivera who loves to run, but more importantly, Scott Turner, who knows Mm -hmm. how to feature running backs in the passing game. He's the one that was with Christian McCaffrey last year. Antonio Gibson, let's go back. Go back to before the season. I'm telling you. I think me and Warren Sharp are on here talking about Antonio Gibson as a guy to steal. I shouldn't have traded him in fantasy a few weeks ago, but it's okay. But we'll see. Um... The, we were talking about Eric Bieniemy, The Chiefs and what they did in the first quarter reminded me of when Brian Westbrook, Kevin Curtis, and Donovan McNabb 
Don, the baby blues and the yellows. And abs- <laughs> was it the Detroit Lions that you Detroit guys steamrolled? Yeah. Yep. There, there are certain offensive games that feel historic. It reminded me of that game. You know, I watched that game yesterday, and obviously I, I love that Detroit game because we watched film, and I'm like, you know, they don't tackle very well, and there were many opportunities that they had to tackle us in that game, and they couldn't tackle us. But, you know, when everything is clicking the right way, but we did it for four quarters. Yesterday, the Chiefs had a chance to do it for four quarters, and they couldn't get it done. But that first half, you talk about putting up points. They, kept, they said, you know, uh, Todd Bowles said, we're going to play man-to-man on the fastest man in the league. And if you're going with to complete no safety the ball, help, with no safety help, if you're going to complete the ball, you're going to have to be on time with your passes, and they're going to have to be the most accurate passes that you can make. And the one person that could, could do it, I mean, there's a couple guys that could do it: Rogers, probably uh, 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 Russell Wilson, but Mahomes certainly can. He was on time and he was deadly accurate. And yesterday was just another opportunity for him to show off what he can do. He, you know, there was a part of me that didn't realize he had the the long distance arm that he does. I mean, I knew he could throw the ball hard and accurate and precise, but I mean, he unwound a couple times yesterday and just let it go. And it was, I think he point. told me that he can throw at 87. Yeah. I, I mean, I have it, to check. See it. But um, th- those balls to Tariq Hill were just pinpoint accurate. That, that's the difference because the defense wasn't in a bad space. Uh, I can't remember 24's name. John, was it Johnson? He went, wasn't t- it wasn't terrible coverage. Just it was a catch and a better throw, and that's mm. what it was. I Ingber, are you back? I believe I'm back. Can you see me? Nice. Can you hear me? All right. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> I actually lost um, power temporarily I, in my apartment. I'm back though. I know that you have collected some crazy stats about that first quarter and the Chiefs' offense and all of that. Uh, can you just unload some of that? Uh, on us, please. Yeah. Just for perspective. Absolutely. And by the by the way, by the way, I just want to say this: the guy that Tyreek Hill was going up against in one on one was Carlton Davis, and Carlton Davis. Davis has actually been having a great season. Todd Bowles' mm-hmm. offense defense is: we're going to man up and we're going to handle. And the Bucks have been one of the best defenses, but the only guy that seems to be able to play man to man on Tyreek Hill is Jalen Ramsey. For the last few years, he's been the only guy that's been able to do it. And if you don't have Jalen Ramsey, you can't play that defense. Anyway, mm-hmm. statistics. Uh, this is from John Boyce, who's a fantastic Twitter follower for NFL Love Nuggets. If he had just stopped playing after the first quarter, Tyreek Hill would have had the 151st most passing reception uh, receiving yards in a game in NFL history. It's only been done 150 times more than him. If he had just stopped playing for the latter three quarters mm-hmm. of the game. Uh, another amazing stat from Mahomes, 462 passing yards, three touchdowns, and zero interceptions. So he now has four career games with at least 400 passing yards and three touchdowns and no interceptions. In the Super Bowl era, no other player has had more than two such games over their first NFL seasons, and only Drew Brees with nine, Peyton Manning with five, and Tom Brady with five have had more such games in their entire career. I think Mahomes mm-hmm. still has a long way to go. And, and I know that Aaron Schatz had a tweet that, that you put there that kind of echoed what Westbrook's concern is about the Chiefs. Yeah, Aaron Schatz from Football Outsiders. He said, I know the Chiefs offense is great, but this team keeps letting other teams stay close. Everything we know says that that could eventually come back to bite them. Is Kansas City somehow an exception to this? I actually, was, I, put, I put that in the doc because I wanted to hear both of your perspectives on that. We yeah. see the Chiefs, like they just keep rolling. Oh, they're unquestionably great. And yet they win these games 27-24. They barely kind of beat the Bills. They, they actually barely beat the Patriots without Cam Newton. Like they've had some close. Same thing happened to the, the Panthers. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, so, one thing that I think they could do, in my opinion, is run the ball a little bit more. Be active, more committed to the run game. And we know Andy wants to throw the ball. And if you got Patrick Mahomes, why not just sling it 40 times every game? But when you talk about taking the ball for away from the other team, and if you still got Tom Brady on the other side, even as bad as he's played and different things like that, you still want to take the ball away from him run the ball a little bit more. It, it seems that Andy has kind of fallen back into his old ways where he falls in love with the pass game and, and what's not to I fall in love not. with your 400 yeah. plus. Yeah. I mean, it's hard not to, but again, you got to win. The, the purpose is winning these games, not making them close, not putting up as many, many yards as you can. I think he's going to have to get uh, the young kid, Clyde Edwards Hilaire involved a little bit more. You're right. He barely touched the ball yesterday. The one thing I will say, is that there was a play in the third quarter, so the the, the Chiefs are already up like 20, and all, it was like the start the second half, and all of the coverage was shaded to Tyree Kill, and Mecole Hardman, who was just as fast as Tyree Kill, yeah. dropped a ball with no one in front of him that would have gone for 90 yards for a touchdown, which would have put Patrick Mahomes over 500 an hour chasing super history, and it would have put the game out of reach. And what I noticed from the Chiefs is that there's a lot of times that this happens. There's a lot of times where Mahomes throws a deep touchdown or a deep ball, and then all of a sudden there's a holding penalty bringing it back. My guy Kalecio Semele was a, a victim of this a few times in different games. The, the Chiefs seemingly keep fucking up their kill shot where there's like one big play that makes it super out of reach. The other thing it makes me think is with no crowds, with having to be self-motivated, I think that we're in an era, in a season where there's going to be a lot of comebacks possible because when you're up 20 points and you got Tyreek Hill picking up the phone on the sidelines saying we got help <laughs> on the way, it is hard to keep that energy up going, we got to keep going. We got to keep going. Um, I, I just think it's hard to sustain that without the exterior motivation sometimes. It's hard to stay focused. I mean, to, be, to go up the way that they did, to put up the amount of points and the, the, the passing effort that they did early on, staying focused is just hard to do, no matter what. Because at this point, you're saying, oh, we're going to just roll through them. We'll just go out there the next series and the same thing will happen. But, you know, they, they get paid on the other side, too. And at some point with that turnover, that's when the, the Bucks started coming back a little bit. Mm. Um, and that's when the momentum shift. That's when they started scoring all their points. So, yeah, they will. But to my, to my earlier point, Start pounding them. Start pounding them in the mouth and start in the football. And unfortunately, Andy is not committed to it, which which kind of makes sense. That's who he is. He's not going to be committed to the run unless, yeah. I guess, they played the Bills early the season and, and they ran the ball a bunch. And, then, and the only other note I would say is, remember, this is a Bucks team last week in which Jared Goff threw for 400, and their strategy was, oh, you have JPP, Indomitian Sue, and all those guys up front – but you want to play man to man. I think the mm -hmm. strategy to beat the bucks is to just throw it a lot. So I think that, but I agree with you. Like it's a lot of Le'Veon bell, but at the same time we question the chiefs and they have to put together a four minute drive to waste the clock. And there's nobody better at it than Mahomes. because yeah. if you have to double team Hill and you're going to have to maybe double team Kelsey and you're taking chances one-on-one -on, -one on the rest of the field, the reason that I say the Chiefs are the best offense of all time is Mahomes is going to be a top-five runner in the NFL if he really wanted to, and he's going to break your back. Kurt Warner wasn't making that run. Peyton Manning isn't making that run. Tom Brady isn't making that run. He, 
And Greg Rosenthal retweets himself every time. He goes, Mahomes only runs when he needs to break a team's back. And that's why I think they're so unguardable where it's really going to have to be a team that executes this game plan and keeps Mahomes off the field with five minutes left because it's just – there's no way to stop that team. I just don't see it. Yeah, you can't give him the ball back with an opportunity with time on the clock. You just can't do that. And it, he gets into a point where he's in that zone, and that's what every athlete wants to be in that zone where he just doesn't miss. And not only does he not miss, he finds whoever. If it's Tyreek Hill, you're doubling, I'll go to Kelsey. If it's Kelsey, then I'll go to someone else. I'll just find another guy that, that you can't double, and I'll win that matchup. I was so mad that they didn't complete that pass. This is how innovative Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy are. He's a bad miss. Where they send Patrick Mahomes in motion, who then hands off to a wide receiver, who then hands it off to Travis Kelsey, who is then going to throw the ball back to Mahomes. And, and Kelsey was kicking himself because like the ball got swatted down, but that's why they're great. On the other side, Tom Brady, the storyline seemed to be this man cannot complete deep passes. But I thought the other storyline was it sure did seem like Tony Romo was caping for Tom Brady the entire game. And every time there was a bad pass, it was a wide receiver's fault or an offensive line fault. Like my thing is, is, I understand that you can blame other people and not just pile on Tom Brady, but you can't blame other people the entire time. Did you guys hear that too? Yeah, I heard them. You, you know, so these announcers, they had the production meeting. And, and, and listen, both of those guys, Brady and Romo, played the same position. And so sometimes you'll have a conversation with a guy that is kind of off the record, but on the record at the same time. 100%. And I have to believe that they had some type of communication that says, hey, man, not all of this is exactly on me. There's he a blamed Tyler Johnson for not running mm -hmm. his route flat enough on the red zone. He blamed yeah. Mike Evans on the interception that bounced off a dude's head for not turning around quicker as though like that ball that went off a guy's head was going to go anywhere else. It, you're absolutely right. People don't understand that there are production meetings and a lot of it is just for information gathering. And so what yeah. I got from that and then watching Brady yelling at Mike Evans on the sideline and Mike Evans not making eye contact one time was that Brady sat down there and said, I don't trust my receivers. I don't trust the routes they're running. I don't trust the depth that they're getting. I don't know where they're supposed to be. And Romo, like talked about it without saying Tom Brady told me this, which is absolutely. very telling. There's absolutely no doubt about it. But, you know, the one thing that uh, Tom Brady was a stickler about his entire career in New England was 12-yard routes are supposed to be 12 yards, not 12 and a half, not 11 and a half. If you're, you're supposed to go out, go out. That's where I'm expecting you at. That's where the ball is going to be at. In this offense, it's a little bit different. And Bruce Arians has not adjusted it at all. He hasn't adjusted it to some of the things that – Tom Brady um, has been good at. And I know they want to throw the ball. And I've also heard this week, I actually heard uh, this morning that a lot of the plays that have been called have been from the New England offense. So, I mean, there are situations where Tom is getting some of the play calls that he actually wants and still is struggling. The, the one thing is this, and, and, I, and I, I don't put all the blame on Tom Brady by any means, but in order for them to be a better team, he has to be simply better. He has to be the reason why they win not the reason why they lose. And there's been too many opportunities turning the ball over that he's the, 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 the reason why they end up losing football games, and he can't be. 
it, there was a stat show during the game that quarterbacks that play under Bruce Arians, they have their most interceptions in a season under Arians. Mm-hmm. And Ingber, I know Mike Jones had a stat about Tom Brady's interceptions thus far. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he now has seven interceptions in his last four games. The, the, the crazier I- stat was from Jenna Lane, though, from ESPN. Tom Brady's now one for 21 on passes, traveling 20 or more air yards since week eight. I think a lot of people talked about how we might look strong out of the gate, but the season can wear you down as Westbrook, as you mentioned, this is a grueling season. And if he doesn't have the legs to get those, those accurate deep passes, it's going to look bad in the second half of the year. And also let's not forget the Bucks haven't had a buy yet, right? No, the buy is week 13. Yeah. And so, and so for Tom Brady to finally get a week, to rest up. I mean, there, there is no team that needs to buy more than the Tampa Bay Bucks right now. I thought Ronald Jones continues to just show like sparks every now and then. His ability to hurdle guys that are going for his legs, he does like this like quick flip leg thing that worked on the sideline was incredible. Um, I, I still have faith, but there were two coaches that called out their quarterbacks this week, Bruce Arians and Sean McVay. And Bruce Arians came out, and I, I saw stuff on BR Gridiron where it's like, hey, you wanted Gronk and you wanted AB. Like, where is it at? And then I saw Sean McVay call out Jared Goff for turning over, which we'll get to soon. But to stay on Tom Brady, um, Bruce Arians, Josh McDaniels and the Patriots offense, I feel like creates a script. And there's a method to the madness. We're going to do this in the first quarter to set up something in the third quarter. We're going to create a storyline of an offense where Bruce Arians seems to be like, we're going to find opportunities to take shots downfield. We're going to find a big cross for Gronk. We're going to find a big deep ball for Mike Evans. But I don't really see any storyline to the drives. And Westbrook, I wasn't sure if you see that too. I don't see a lot of storylines to the drive, but more importantly... At 43, Tom Brady needs a run game. Look at what the Patriots were doing towards the end of every season. Get their run game going because, you know, Tom Brady needed it. They needed the support. The other thing that the run game does is solves the issue that Tom Brady always has. Pressure in his face. Pressure around him. If you have a run game, that slows down the pass rush. They have to think about more. You're able to double team more. So when when you have that type of support, which I absolutely think you got to get Ronald Jones the ball in the run game even more. Fournette, get him the ball in the run game. Fournette. Does Leonard Fournette look like the same human to you? No, he looks a little different now. No. He looks smaller. He He looks unsure of himself. He used to be a power back and handing the football volume, just giving the ball 25 times. Now he's, he's, he doesn't seem to fit in this offense because they're trying to get him to catch the ball out of the backfield. They're not running the ball very much at all. He's yeah. not the go-to guy, which some guys have an issue with when they go to a different team. But they got to get back to protecting the league, protecting their quarterback. And how do you help your defense? Keep them off the field. Protect it. And, and they, that's why you have to run the football. I don't know yeah. why game plan was like that going into a game where you know offense is, is as deadly as the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, one other note is that they did lose A.Q. Shipley, and it may be a career-ending injury, unfortunately, for the center there. So that is a huge issue, too. Uh, we talked about the, the, the few other games that really caught my attention. One was Tennessee Indy and then Rams Niners. And now Kyle Shanahan is 4-0 against Sean McVay, which – and I don't and he's been the underdog in three of those games. This is a Rams team that looked incredible against the Bucks, went out there and beat the Seahawks. And then, I mean, if it wasn't for some defensive touchdowns, 
They're not even in this game. Aaron Donald looked amazing, but Sean McVay comes out there and questions Jared Goff. Uh, what was the statistic that you had, Ingber, on this game? I'm trying to find the turnovers. With Goff, it was six interceptions and seven fumbles in the last four weeks from Greg Rosenthal. 13 turnovers in four weeks with a defense that has been shutting people down. I mean, the Rams defense has been phenomenal. And the big issue there is Jared Goff. And I, it just makes me think about that draft where it was Jared Goff or Wentz. And right now, I still don't know who's the better quarterback. I, I, re- I really don't know who it is. Both of them have a huge turnover issue. Well, the one thing we know about Jared Goff is that he, he, he has had some games that he's played well this season where he's looked like a quality number one pick. It's the other games, the, the other three or four or five games where he's just turned the ball over way too many times yesterday for turnovers for that offense. But in, in Carson, the season alone has continued to struggle. So I, I would say golf, but not by much because they both were turning the football over at this point. Yeah, You know, I, when, I, when, I, when I watched that game, I'm saying, Rams, you have to stay on the field. You have to be able to stay on the field. Not being able to convert a third down in the second half kills you against a team like the 49ers because they're going to make sure that their third downs are, are, are third and in, in, in manageable, third and two, and they're going to have end the rounds. They're going to have, you know. A, Debo Samuel all different types is of such a beast. Mm-hmm. I, I look at that Niners team and I go, if they figure out this quarterback situation, whether it's Jimmy G or they end up moving on and, you know, Matt Ryan or Kirk Cousins, whoever, whoever Kyle Shanahan's worked with before that he thinks he can get it done. Trent Williams is, is turning out to be great with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and with George Kittle coming back. Like I just, I look at the Niners as a team that's, that's really set up for the future, but uh, Debo Samuel was great. Aaron Donald was phenomenal mm-hmm. and the Rams come back to life and or come back to earth. And I, I, it's just every week you feel like the, some teams get exposed and, and that you thought was on a run. And it's just crazy how it can happen that quickly. Well, this league has been a week-to-week league, but I think this year is even more so being week-to-week with COVID and teams not being able to get into their facilities, things like that. There was a point where I thought the, the Raiders were just going to run away with things and at mm. least be you know, fighting for that seventh position in the playoffs. And now I don't know anymore. I'm like I don't. It's 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 weird. Same thing could be said at at times for the Colts. You know, I, I thought that they had a stronghold, great defense, but yesterday yeah. they ran into that man that said, "Okay, let's talk either, about it. You either going to tackle me, or I'm going to run through you." And read the Mo Shaker one, uh, Ingber, because I think to to put into context, Derrick Henry at the end of years is so is so ready for the contact compared to everybody else mm-hmm. but i think this statistic about uh that ingrid is going to read really hits at home in 15 games of last year derrick henry had 1540 yards with 16 rushing touchdowns assuming he only plays four more games this year derrick henry is on pace to have 1714 rushing yards and 16 rushing touchdowns in just 15 games uh, this is Henry's, th- this is from NFL three, four, five Henry's third career game with over 175 rushing yards and over three rushing, t- three or more rushing touchdowns. And he joins Jim Brown, LaDainian Tomlinson and Adrian Peterson as the only players in NFL history with three such games in their first five seasons. Westbrook, 
as one of the best running backs of all time, should Derrick Henry be getting MVP votes at the end of this season? He certainly should be considered. I mean, but, you know, Mahomes is putting up numbers that it's just hard to, to, to compete with. But absolutely, he certainly should be. Um, running backs traditionally are not even going to be in the race. Unless let's you're let's remove crazy. how people typically vote. And if we're talking about the merit of the award, what he means to that team and the value of the position, do you believe if we're taking out the, the history of how people vote, yeah, should he, he be considered? Yes, he should be considered. Absolutely. He should have been considered last year too because he was dominant last year as well. Yes, he should be considered, but he's not a flashy player, which, is, which kind of makes a difference in some of the voting stuff. He's not a flashy player. He's not a, he's not a quarterback. So that, that, that makes all the difference in the world. But I don't know. His, when Derrick Henry busts off that 75-yard run and outruns yeah, everybody, like Ingber said a few weeks ago, he'll bash you, bash you, bash you, and then he can outrun you. It's weird because in some of those plays, it doesn't look like he's moving very fast, but with those long legs, he's covering a lot of ground. And now we're watching defenders. I watched the Colts defenders yesterday let him go by and then just try to jump on his back. Yes. Instead of trying to tackle him, I'm saying, okay, yeah. we're just going to let him In go. the first drive of the game, he stiff-armed a 300-plus pound defensive lineman by taking his face and putting it in the ground. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you? Would you rather watch Mahomes throw for 400 or Derrick Henry run for 200? I, just for you, Westbrook. I'm going to take Mahomes because when I was watching Mahomes yesterday – it was a thing of beauty, especially that, you know, when he had things going, it was just, he couldn't miss. It was like just shooting from everywhere. couldn't miss. Um, I, I love watching running backs dominate and I love watching Derrick Henry, but Mahomes probably would be the way to go for me. I think a lot of people say that in the last few weeks, Mahomes has, Mahomes has vaulted himself to the top of the MVP. I think Aaron Rodgers has hung in uh, your guy four touchdowns last night keeping it going, keeping it moving. It feels like Russell Wilson fell off because of the turnovers recently, and it feels like Kyler fell off because of the loss to the Patriots. But in terms of offensive player of the year, people aren't talking about the fact that Alvin Kamara really had it wrapped up, and the last two weeks with Taysom Hill under, quarter, yeah. under center, he's completely fallen by the wayside. And I'm not saying this just because Ingber has Kamara on his fantasy team, but it feels like Derrick Henry has now taken the lead for Offensive Player of the Year, which they typically give to a non-quarterback position. Ingber, by the way, are you doing okay? How has it been? Like, give me the sentiment of all Kamara owners, Kamara fantasy commissioners out there. Well, it's just funny because when the Chiefs picked up Le'Veon Bell, we all said, oh, this is going to hurt Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because he's not going to get as many red zone touches. But usually when you bring in a veteran running back, a running back can understand if he's not getting as much, much many touches. Kamara's like, this is a quarterback. Why am I still not getting red zone touches? Mm -hmm. Now Taysom Hill is gobbling up all of the red zone rushing touchdowns and Kamara's just standing there as a decoy like, guys, I was running for like 130 yards a game. What's going on? Are you, are you mad? Like, and then not only that, not you got Latavius Murray. Know. Like anyone that gets mad about fantasy, especially during a COVID year, I don't know what you're doing. We play it for goofiness. If you have so much money oh. at stake that you're mad at your fantasy league, you need to reevaluate things. At the same point, I need everyone to understand. Most fantasy playoffs start week 14. We are done week 12. The LFGL, the Let's Fucking Go League, the Lefko Fantasy Gridiron League, the regular season ends tomorrow night and the playoffs start in week 13. And because remember we're doing the, the playoffs and then there's the collective 
everyone point total. And in our league, I am first place. I just wanted to say that for the record. I just wanted it out there. Tyree Kill gave me 50 points. When you have Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey on your yeah. fantasy team, yeah. you are living pretty. I just wanted to say that. But just so everyone out there that's listening, playoffs start next week. So just get ready. Did you secretly buy like the premium membership to the fantasy app that like gives you some special extra boost when you're drafting? I don't know. Like, I think there might be some shenanigans happening behind the scenes. My team was stacked. <laughs> I also executed some good trades. I'm in first place in my other league too. I uh, I have Travis Kelsey on both teams. It's a huge bonus. That's why I told him to his face, "Thank you for being good." This is also Travis Kelsey this is makes the- things look so easy, doesn't he? I mean, it oh. just looks like he's jogging half the time. He's always open. He always catches the ball for the most part. He gets a couple yards after the catch. I mean, he just makes it look eh, just another day. Yeah, it doesn't look like he's running routes. It looks like he's finding space. That's it. Yep, finding holes in the defense. Yeah, it's just another Yeah, it looks like he's park. playing basketball. That's Amber, it. were you going to take another shot at me? Yeah, I was. Uh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to do so. <laughs> I was just saying that like, if I were going over to Tony Romo's house for Thanksgiving and he was like, I want the big leg, I'd be like, it's your house, man. You, Yes, you absolutely can have it. I think what you- Oh, you're going to say, you're going to say that the league is letting me do this? I'm not going to say that they're letting you actively. I think there's something in the back. I of traded Will Fuller and Chase Edmonds <laughs> five weeks ago for Travis Kelsey, which I, this is, I, I it look, it's a fair, the guy also, had Robert Tunyon. The fact that you're all riled up, though, is all I wanted from that comment. So yeah, I'm good. You, you succeeded. You succeeded. <laughs> um, I, I did want to talk about uh, Ingber's former team, the Patriots, and how they were able to get a massive win to mm-hmm. stay in the playoffs and to do something that we haven't seen yet, which is to slow down Kyler Murray in any aspect of the game, which is usually when Kyler can't throw, he runs all over you. And I was listening to the guys on the Around the NFL this morning, and they said, and I, because I didn't get to watch that game closely enough, that one of the things the Patriots did was instead of rushing Kyler all the time, they just tried to jump up and swat down passes. Did you see this, Ingber? Oh, absolutely. It didn't feel like they were, tr- they, they didn't go into this game saying we need to sack him five or six times in order to really get in his face. I think it was more just we need to make the walls feel like they're closing in on him and see how he reacts. And those little jab steps, they weren't falling for them. And one of the things we talked about last week was that Belichick has struggled in the past against mobile quarterbacks. Like we've seen Blake Bortles go off for 100 yards rushing. We've seen Mitch Trubisky have crazy rushing games against mm-hmm. the Patriots. And they just decided they're like, look, man, DeAndre Hopkins is going to get locked up by a one-on-one with Gilly, and we're just going to let Kyler Murray feel uncomfortable in the pocket all day. And they did a nice job of that. The one thing I'll add to that, though, is when Belichick plays a quarterback for the first time, it's blueprint season. This is what he did to Mahomes, where, remember, Mahomes threw like a pick six in the first time they played because he was dropping back defensive linemen. He finds a way. And so now the question is for Kyler – you got Aaron Donald and that Rams defense that we were just applauding next week. Will the Rams, the Giants, and the Eagles, the next three opponents for the Cardinals, do this? The big knock against Kyler Murray has always been his height. And so now the question is, if we're not going to pressure Kyler to give him rushing lanes and we're just going to drop back and try and throw over us, how will Cliff Kingsbury and that team attack it? And can this be a blueprint that works? What do you think, Brian? Well, you know, I always believe that teams follow Bill Belichick's lead. Exactly As they what should. He does. And, 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 of course, they, they absolutely should. But 
if Kingsbury is the mastermind that he has been, then he, sh he should have an answer. And, and what you do against teams that want to just be that stout wall is you attack their edges because you can't, you can't uh, be that wall in front of the quarterback if you also are contained on the edges. So now you have to attack the edges and things like that. I would expect Kingsbury uh, to attack the edges. But when, when I went back and watched that game this morning, it was a fourth down right before the half. And the Patriots defense was able to hold. I mean, the time ran out after the play, right? They were able to hold and not give up a touchdown at that point. That was the play of the game for me. Is that on the goal line, too? Right on the goal line. Yeah, yeah, Inches. yeah. And, and, and they tried to reach the ball out and just didn't make it. I mean, that was the Man, play of the, the game. Patriots have been involved in some crazy goal line stands this season, That's haven't true. they? Yeah. A great stand by the, uh, the Patriots there. And then, you know, I've, I've been on this thing recently about the way the NFL has protected the quarterback, and it's been a little bit ridiculous. I mean, you can't hit them low. You can't can't hit them high. You can't hit their head. You can't do all these different things. And I looked at that last series with Cam, and you're talking about this is a huge play because they're, all they're trying to do is get into field goal Isaiah range at Simmons, that point. Yeah. Isaiah Simmons, Cam is getting towards the sideline. Isaiah Simmons, usually, usually defenders give him the courtesy of allowing them to run out of bounds, even when they're close and still in bounds. But Isaiah Simmons said, no, you're still in bounds, and he hit him. And I think they, they called a personal foul on him, gave him 15 extra yards, which is, you know, which is wrong in my opinion. But helped set up the game-winning field goal. It helped set up the game-winning field goal, but it wasn't a low hit. He did hit him a little bit in the helmet, but, I mean, what, what you want me to do? It wasn't a nasty, vicious hit, and he was in bounds, most importantly. And I just think mm -hmm. the referees uh, made a mistake there. I also think, and I've been thinking this the last couple of weeks, I want the coaches to be able to throw a flag on players like that. That rule that they had, I guess, the last couple of years where you can challenge certain calls, because to me – in the game, if the refs absolutely get it wrong, which I think this is a wrong call, they should be able to go back. Maybe only one challenge per game, or only under two minutes, or whatever the situation is. If it's a critical moment, I should be able to challenge it if the ref got the, the, the call right and wrong. And, and to me, there have been teams that have lost this year because the coaches haven't had the opportunity to challenge. And some of these calls by the refs were absolutely wrong. And I, I believe Pereira came out and echoed Westbrook's sentiment. Am I right, Ingber? That's right. Uh, he said it was a lot of chatter on Twitter about the hit on Newton. I get it. It was a big hit and it looked like a foul, but it wasn't. Newton was inbounds and Simmons did not leave with his helmet. It was more shoulder to shoulder with maybe incidental contact with a helmet, not a foul. Mike Pereira for yeah. you. And I, I love, I, I, it's, I like Dean Blandino came to talk about, uh, I was watching a little bit of Jets Dolphins yesterday where, and don't ask me why, Devontae Parker uh, got credited for a catch in which I don't think he possessed the ball for a half a second, let alone three steps. And Dean Blandino came on and said, I don't really think that's a catch, but I can understand, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, listen. It wasn't Dean Blandino. It was the uh, the cool Italian guy that also does basketball games. I forget what uh, what his name is. He was the one that took his hat off when the referees came back after mm -hmm. their strike a few years ago. Um, if you're going to be an analyst with the referees, you need to be able to call them out. Like I hate when the referee guy comes on and goes, you know, it's it's a bang bang play and it's moving quickly. Get out of here. You you are no longer in the fraternity and the referees. You are now in the fraternity of broadcasters where if you want to be good, can you be honest? Everyone that is good in broadcasting gets promoted and everyone that tries to play the company line gets demoted. I that's one of my pet peeves. Stop protecting your your friend like you're in a new job now. But um <laughs> 
Isaiah Simmons got two personal fouls hitting the the quarterbacks yesterday. Uh, we saw two personal fouls, a huge one in the Buccaneers Chiefs game where Patrick Mahomes did get hit in the head. And I think there needs to be a coach that comes to the defensive players at the end of the games and goes, look, if you want to rock Cam Newton in the first quarter, I'm okay with personal fouls in the first quarter. We should be able to overcome that. But if you are near the quarterback in a huge situation, guys, I, I I need you to stay away from his head. I need I need you to I need you to go at, go for the numbers because as soon as you go near the head, that's when the flag comes. Well, out. Well, I know the, it's hard to pull back. No, here's the actual hard part. When these defenders, long arms, are getting closer to the quarterback, number one, they're trying to squad the ball down. That's one way. The other thing is they're trying to come around and get the ball out of the quarterback's hand. They're all, they're all arms and hands. And at that point, when you're trying to come down, it happens to hit mm. their head. So, I mean, but, it's just, but think, okay, not, not to take this back to basketball lessons that, that I've learned in penalty. my lifetime. But what I'm saying is, is the, the, and this is crazy that I'm saying this. The thing that you always learn in basketball is don't come down. Because when the ref sees you come down, even if you hit all ball, they're calling a flag. They're mm-hmm. calling a, a foul. You're supposed to go straight up. And that's, uh, it takes off-season training, I guess. But I'm just seeing too many games being changed because of the come down motion that you're saying where you make well, incidental contact with the helmet. Well, well, when you're playing basketball and you're in a defensive stand, your hands are low naturally. So coming up is a little bit easier to do. When you're True. playing football, your hands are up, especially on the defensive line. So coming down is a natural thing to do. It's not a 15. Yeah. You shouldn't get 15 yards because of that. And, and right. the, the way that they're protecting the quarterback, you can't hit them high. You can't hit them low. You, if I get blocked into their legs, that's a penalty on me. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. They, they've taken it way too far, far as, as far as protecting the quarterbacks. Now, when you talk about Mahomes and that hit by JPP in the head, yeah, that's a penalty. That was obvious. It was a penalty. But there, there's other I couldn't believe they life. didn't give him an extra 15 for literally ripping his helmet, his helmet off, off. Yeah. right in front of the referee. Yeah, yeah, right there, right in front of the ref, absolutely. With his with his weekend haircut. Uh, by the way, this just came out. Andrew Siciliano tweeted, Nagy is calling out players and coaches, quote, have some personal pride, have a freaking sense of urgency. Yesterday was flat out embarrassing. Nagy also came out after the game and said, I'm not afraid of losing my job. Uh, that sounds like a coach that is feeling the pressure of possibly losing his job. They've lost five in a row, and I get it. They also didn't have Akeem Hicks last night. And I when the when I heard that the that uh the coach of the uh Packers, um LaFleur came out and said that he will not run certain plays if Akeem Hicks is on the field. It's just it's it's tough for these guys, but Matt Nagy feeling the pressure. Well, Matt Nagy bet his job, and he probably is going to lose his job on Nick Foles, and Nick Foles did not deliver for him. And Trubisky looked better than Nick Foles. He did. He did. I mean, what was Trubisky? It was, was just they, you can't stop Aaron Rodgers. Were they three and zero with Trubisky early on in the season, and then he got demoted? I, I, I'm, I'm almost 100% Were they 3-0 sure. and, and then... It was well, the Falcons game where they were they were losing and then they brought in Foles and he preserved the undefeated season, okay. I believe. Yeah, so, yeah. so Trubisky got credit for that win right, because right. he started the game, right. but man, he was bad in that Falcons game. Well, listen, but apparently a lot of people look bad in Atlanta. <laughs> We've seen a lot of weird results. I mean, the, the Raiders lost 43-6. Yeah. 
Nick Foles is not the answer, and he he bet his he bet his job on that. And obviously, Trubisky isn't the answer long term either. Um, I feel bad for him because I actually like Nagy a, a bunch, but hey, man, this is this is how coaches go. And when you're playing in a division that has a team in and that that has one of the best quarterbacks ever. And, and Aaron Rodgers. And it also, listen, the Vikings haven't been good this year, but they had a great defense the last few years. And offensively, they got Dalvin Cook, Kirk Cousins, Thielen, and Jefferson at this point. And they started off bad, but they're coming back a little bit. Um, it's just hard to win, especially in that division. It really is something that needs to be remembered in history so that we don't do this again. And I, I feel bad for Bears fans to have to hear it all the time. But the fact that Mitchell Trubisky was drafted like yeah. multiple picks ahead of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Let's just do this now in case we're ever talking the draft again. If there is a quarterback that has played for one year and that they people say, oh, he projects to be a really good quarterback. And on the other side is a quarterback that won a national championship and is the main force behind it. And another guy that did it for three or four years and was putting up four or 500 yards a game. We need to stop with this project quarterback thing, whether it's the Blake Bortles of the world or the Mitchell Trubisky's of the world or these guys that play one year. I just, I don't know who the, who the person is that did it. And I, I hate talking about it because it's such an old tired topic, but for Matt Nagy, to be the assistant, to be the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs, and to see Patrick Mahomes in practice for that entire season and know what was coming up the pipe, and then go to the team and and then in that first practice of Mitchell Trubisky, he must have looked around and been like, "What the fuck is did they do here?" <laughs> and I just the fact that Ryan Pace, like, if anyone gets fired, if if Matt Nagy gets fired before Rob uh, Pace, then that's crazy. Because Pace needs to be the one to go. I hate calling for people's jobs. It's fucked up. Yeah, don't don't call for their jobs. But they, they have to do a much better job. And, you know, unfortunately, when you're a coach, you're tied to the quarterbacks that you pick. And the quarterbacks that Nagy has picked have, have both have been bad. They, they got some, they, you know, listen, Cohen's hurt. He's out. Robinson is, is a victim of the quarterback. Your defense has been okay, but been on the field way too much. They have some issues there offensively, and that's what Matt Nagy was brought in to fix. Unfortunately, mm. he's done it in games, but not for an entire season the, the, the whole time he's been there. It is crazy that Nagy was so celebrated that first year as this incredible offensive innovator because, remember, he was the one that did the reverse two-point conversion mm -hmm. pitch out, and then he was throwing the offensive lineman on the goal line. Mm -hmm. He really was the offensive wonderkin of that season, and then the Eagles and Nick Foles beat him in the playoffs on the double doink, and since then with Cody Parkey, it's all fallen apart. That's the reason he went with Nick Foles is because he saw what Nick Foles did to him in the playoff game, and he was like, I could do that. That's great. Yeah. Wrong choice. Wrong choice. Yeah. Um, Cleveland struggled win. against the Jags. You saw that. It's so interesting. Like, like Ingber threw a statistic in there about how Baker Mayfield has performed in non-weather games, and it was good. But like, I came away watching that game, going, "Baker, you need to stop missing these wide, wide open, open wide receivers." Wide open. That was the first thing on my notes. It says Baker's ball placement is horrible. 
horrible. I mean, why can you read actually Ingber the statistics and then Baker's quote after the game? Because I, I, I have a comment about that. It's going to make me sound like a crusty old man. <laughs> so from, this is from Rob shenanigans on Twitter, Baker Mayfield stat line over the last two games against Cincinnati and Jacksonville. So not two you know, front runners yeah. for the Super Bowl here. The Browns were not playing in cataclysmic weather conditions, 41 for 57. So 72% completion rate, 555 passing yards, seven touchdowns, one interception, two sacks, and an 126 passer rating. And then the quote that he had after the game, I want to make sure, do you know the source of this quote? Because this is not his quote. This is not something that he said and he made up on the spot. Okay. I'll read no, the but quote I just, But I know, but the fact that it came out of his mouth is what I want to talk about. Right. Baker says, the only things he hates more than missing throws is, quote, lying and skim milk. And skim milk is just water lying about being milk. So got to make those throws. That's actually, that's not a quote from Baker Mayfield. It's a terrific quote. It's a Nick Offerman, Ron Swanson quote from Parks and Recreation, who is like one of the most quotable sitcom characters in all of history. So let's just, let's just make sure that we give the genius comedian behind this quote his due. So this has been Baker's thing where he's been dropping pop culture references. He's dropped the ballad of Ricky Bobby. He did some American Express commercials. He had one a few weeks ago. And I'm going to sound like such a crusty old man. And Ingram, I'm asking you do not clip this because I do not want this on like in social media. This is like what, what I hear when older guys get upset about touchdown celebrations. And they're like, you're spending all week coming up with these touchdown celebrations. I wish that you were out there, whatever. There's just this thing with Baker where like every time he does something like this, everyone's like, isn't it funny? Isn't it cool? And like, I'm just not enjoying it. And I'm not sure why I'm not enjoying it. I actually think that I would like Baker to succeed because like I like guys that get shit on bouncing back and I want Cleveland to have a good team and they're eight and three. But I don't know what it is. It's like, I don't enjoy watching him play. And so I don't enjoy watching him have fun after the game. I don't know what it is. And I, Westbrook, why am I so crotchety about this? Because you feel like he's a front runner in a way. You feel like when things are going great, he's always in your face, always there. And then when things are going bad, he never looks at himself and says, you know, I need to do better. It's kind of everyone. Yeah, he gets mad at you the know, haters kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, Baker, just go play better. I mean, that, that that's what it is. You know, I was thinking about that quote. Isn't that a Jimmy Kimmel type of thing? Isn't Jimmy Kimmel just sending out different things? I remember Gronk made a, made a comment, yeah. something about butter drizzles. My mom or a couple of weeks where they're trying to give right, quotes like to guys. Or yeah, to give quotes to guys to say during the press conference and, and see if they can get it through. Um, but, yeah, you know, Baker – they're eight and three. They're in a much better situation than a lot of people would have thought they would have been in, especially without Odell Beckham Jr. Beckham Jr. I, I just, I want him to play better. This team would be much better. But now I, I truly believe that Stefanski is saying, we're going to run the ball and we're just going to put this offense in a position where Baker can't screw it up. And the only way that they lose is if Baker just turns the ball over. They're running the ball great. Hunt and, and Chubb look like, the best one-two punch that we've seen in the league in a very long time. That defense can play well, especially staying off the field. But Baker, I mean, they, they scored. They, when did they end up winning by two points? They score another maybe touchdown or at least another field goal, um, you know, at least another 10 points if Baker can hit a wide-open guy. I'm talking about a wide-open guy yeah. in the end zone. Um, but he, he hasn't been accurate. But I'll tell you this. When you watch that game, there's a couple other throws that he stands in the pocket and moves around a little bit, and he just throws strikes. 
And it's, it's just it's baffling to me how he could be great on one play and then mm. just below average on another. That's their consistency. But that's the difference between good teams and average teams and bad teams. The quarterback play. If it's, you have some consistency there, consistent good play, you're going to be a good team. You know what? No matter what. Yeah. If you have inconsistent play like Baker, um, you may have a good record, but you're not going to be a good football team. The best game of the week next week in terms of records is including the Cleveland Browns. Is the eight and three Cleveland Browns, the eight and three Tennessee Titans, two mm. teams that are obsessed with pounding the rock. So it'll be a very interesting game. But when I look at the Cleveland Browns, number one, three of their wins are against NFC East teams. At Dallas, 49 to 38. That was when Dallas's defense was at peak explosion. Yep. They beat Washington 34 to 20. Dwayne Haskins was still playing at that time. They beat the Eagles in a monsoon in which they needed Carson Wentz to applaud about himself. So that's three wins. Another one's they swept the Bengals. So five of their eight wins were against the Bengals and the NFC East. The next part of their games, they've built up enough cushion to make Lefko look right to get a wild card playoff seed. But now they're also five and one at home in Cleveland. At Tennessee, home against the Ravens, at the Giants, at the Jets, home against the Steelers. I'm looking at the Giants and Jets, especially with this Daniel Jones things, hamstring injury. The Cleveland Browns should get to at least 10 wins. And I think 10 and 6 in the in the AFC is going to get you one of those wild card playoff spots. But we are going to learn a lot about Baker Mayfield in those other three games. At Tennessee, home against the divisional Ravens team in which they lost by 32 points earlier this season, and then home against the Steelers that they lost to by 31 points earlier this season. I am looking at the Browns not as a, oh, isn't this a pleasant surprise because Ingber will be, will testify to it. I knew that the Browns were going to have a good year. Warren Sharp knew. The schedule lined up, what they were going to be lined up. But I am looking right now at Baker Mayfield in those three games because I still am not sure. I'm still not sure. And I, I think that when you beat the Jacksonville Jaguars 27 to 25, those are the games where I go, Baker, I need you to take that next step because it's not about winning games anymore and dropping cool quotes afterwards. It's about playing to your potential. And I still don't see it. Well, that's why, that's why you feel the way about Baker. Number one, and, and I mentioned front runner, meaning that when they're up, it looks good. It kind of looks good. He's doing well. Can he lead his team against another quality team? You talk about the five games they won against inferior opponents. What about the good teams? Can you beat those teams? And he's gotten blown out by some of the better teams that he's played against. And when you think about this, and the other part, not, not just solely Baker, but they gave a 235 passing yards to Mike Glennon yesterday mm. and James Robinson, 128 rushing yards and a touchdown. What? What are you talking about? You, you guys are supposed to be competing for a playoff spot against a bad Jaguars team. And I don't know that the, the Browns are in a position to play down to another team, but that's what they did yesterday uh, against the Jags, which gave them life and opportunity uh, to potentially win all game. I'll tell you what, the Raiders losing that game yesterday, I'm looking at the AFC standings, yeah. that was such a big loss. I mean, it puts them right now right back down there with the Patriots at 5-6, and six. the Raiders are 6-5, and five. but if the playoffs started today, which it doesn't, the Buffalo Bills would be hosting the Cleveland Browns, which would just be the most 
epic game of of scrappy fan bases needing it and quarterbacks that make mistakes all the time. Like, remember, Buffalo and Cleveland have a rich history of their teams, but I just I look at the AFC and I go, it's Pittsburgh and Kansas City and then everybody else. Of course. And I'm not the biggest believer in Tennessee. I know that Buffalo got the win over a Chargers team where where I love Anthony Lynn, but I think he's got to go because I feel like like that's another one where I'm like, let's bring Eric Bieniemy with with Justin Herbert. You know, like I I want to give these young quarterbacks offensive minds that know how to use it and not a guy that's calling a quarterback sneak when the offensive line's coming back. Like, it's just, I, I don't know how I got, but I'm, uh, I'm just frustrated by this lack of ingenuity. Sometimes I really get upset. Yeah. I, I think the play that you're talking about is they're going down. They're trying to drive to win the game. They have maybe, well, no, it was more to get within three, but oh, yeah, still, get, yeah. yeah, get within three, but you're still driving. I think they might be down by 10, whatever it was. Yeah. And now you have no timeouts left. And you run the ball instead of throwing the ball incomplete. You stop the clock right there inside the 10. A bad decision there offensively. But when we talk about the Raiders, a team that I thought was ascending in the right direction, trending in the right direction uh, to make a good playoff push, uh, to get 43 points put up on you in Atlanta, that's embarrassing. Derek Carr, who I thought was having one of his best seasons, to have, what, three turnovers, three fumbles? I mean, come on. That, that, that's yeah. not realistic. That's the one thing in my mind I keep hearing John Gruden say the two-handed monster, whatever it was, with the, the two hands on the ball in the pocket. Uh, Derek Carr not doing a good job there. More importantly than anything, they're built on having the ability to run the football with Josh Jacobs. Seven carries for Josh Jacobs, not nearly enough. And obviously the score played a he big did, part of that. He did turn his ankle. Yeah. But – but this is the thing the Raiders do, just to give some context. When they go down, Josh Jacobs disappears. He's out. He's done. As, That's right. as someone that has Josh Jacobs on a fantasy team, it's like if they if they are plus, they run him all the time. Yep. When they are down, they take him off the field. And yep. I'm sitting there going, I watched Derrick Henry catch passes. Josh Jacobs can catch pass. I don't understand why you have a pass-catching running back. You're almost giving away what you're going to do. And that's what John Gruden loves. He loves guys to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield, which is which is absolutely crazy. I was reading up on the, the Raiders today, and obviously they had a bunch of penalties in the game, 11 penalties, 141 yards. But mm. I was always reading it that they can't even go back in the building because of COVID now. So they're mm. in a situation where – and a lot of teams have been hit with this throughout the, throughout the year. That it, so, so let me just give you a schedule of what normally happens throughout the week for NFL players. Let's say Wednesday, Wednesday practice. You go in in the morning. Your meetings start at 8 a.m., you have meetings, a special teams meeting, then an offense, defense meeting, and then you go to practice around noonish. You have a little lunch, and then you go, um, you go back. You have some meetings in the afternoon. This year for the season, these guys can't. They don't have meetings anymore. They have meetings virtually, so they're at meeting at home. So I mean, things have changed tremendously for these guys throughout the NFL. And and now when you're talking about you can't go into the building, just imagine the attention span. Right now with me, as a grown man, my attention span is low. If I'm trying to remember crap that I'm going over on the video with my coach and I'm at home with my kids running around doing different things, come on, what do you expect from us? And, and so it, it's a much harder situation for these teams. The Raiders won't be able to go back into the building this week, which is a, another blow to a team that I thought was trending in the right direction. And then how about the Niners? 
where Santa Clara <laughs> issues a surprise no contact sports for three weeks, and now they can't practice or play home games. Right. And listen, it's COVID, so you need to take these. But for the fact that they found out through social media, and I want to go, you they built a stadium in Santa Clara that's going to bring hundreds of millions of dollars to your economy and is bringing jobs and all of this attention to this County. And you're not going to tell the team first. Mm -hmm. Like I, I just, I think that um, I always go back to the players and I think about the families and the coaches and all that. And it's, can we, can we stop announcing things without telling the most important people that are involved like, I understand that things need to happen. So I'm not saying it shouldn't have happened, but like we need to communicate. And I, I just feel like there's been a lack of communication or at least COVID has really magnified the issues in communication through all of this. Uh, I, I just think a lot of times people want to be the first to news and I just don't think they should be. But I can't imagine. I mean, they're going to play in Arizona. The Niners are having the craziest season of all of this in terms of all the changes that are having to happen to them. Adjusting... So with the NFL, just players, professional players in general, schedules and routine is huge. Putting the same socks on, same getting dressed the same way, same weekly schedule. I go to my trainer, then I go to my masseuse, then I go to my, my, the, the lady or whoever stretches me. Having that same continuity, that same schedule is huge for athletes. Um, and, and quite honestly, you feel uncomfortable when you're not on that same schedule. Um, to be able to be in this situation, it would have been a bad – I just would have been in a bad way. We would have survived, but, I, you know, players back in the day when I played, they would have been in a, in a, in a terrible way going through some of the things that the players are dealing with with COVID this year. Um, this is my last point. If you guys have anything else you want to talk about, please do it. But uh, I, I have a message for uh, my guy, Sam Darnold. It is almost over. <laughs> it is almost over. I mean, this is a Jets team that surprisingly benched one of their best offensive linemen yesterday, Alex Lewis, for a disciplinary measure and put him back out there when he's recovering from an injury, Sam Darnold. This is a team in which Adam Gase was seen calling plays on the sideline after saying that he gave up the plays and then after the game saying, no, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I Sam Darnold was part of a historic 2018 quarterback class where you had five guys go in the first round. Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Lamar Jackson. And out of all of them, Sam Darnold has been put in the worst situation. And I just want to say to Sam Darnold, it is almost over. I don't know if you're going to Indy. I don't know if you're going to Pittsburgh. I don't know what's going to happen. But I applaud you for being a man during this entire thing and never complaining. Um, I mean, this is the same guy who ESPN did something that they never do, which is air a clip in which you're saying something that shouldn't get out and embarrasses him in front of everybody. Am I a little bit biased? Sure. But I don't think my take is biased. I'm just saying that of all the coaches that are getting fired, the fact that it hasn't happened to Adam Gase yet, the only person that you're punishing is Sam Darnold because you're trotting him out there to make him look like he stinks. And I don't think he does. And I can't wait for him to prove everybody wrong, but Adam Gase, I don't know where you're going after this, buddy. I don't know who you're going to prove yourself to. 
Ryan Tannehill's out here slinging. Devontae Parker looks amazing. The Dolphins look great. I just, I've had enough. And I, I, I don't know what's going on. And I, I will say the only person that it makes sense for is Joe Douglas. Because as Adam Gase continues to go out there and embarrass himself, Joe Douglas continues to sit back there and go, oh, I don't have to answer any questions. But uh, I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of watching it. And Adam Gase is about to have an 0-16 record on his watch. You know that press conference that you're talking about where Gase is like, oh, someone else is calling the play. Oh, that wasn't me. The, the reporter says, but we watched him stand there and talk to the tight end the entire time. And we actually saw you calling plays. He was like, when? <laughs> what was this? And then, and then the guy, the, and then he was like, he was like, oh, that was a two right, minute, right. Uh, yeah, two minute situation. Right. <laughs> it's the same thing when you call out somebody and they're like, who mm -hmm. told you that? And it's like, nobody, don't worry mm -hmm. who told mm -hmm. me. We know you're lying. Yeah. It's just embarrassing. Yeah. He puts himself in the best. The reason it's embarrassing, the reason it's embarrassing for me is we talked in the beginning of the podcast about leaders of men. There are 32 people in the world that have NFL coaching jobs. And we sit here and we talk about how black men do not get the opportunity at an equal rate as white men to get these jobs. And we talk about Eric Bieniemy. We talk, and we see someone like Adam Gase, who is not only proven to not be a good drawler of X's and O's, but to be one of the worst leaders of men in the NFL that I have seen in my time watching the NFL. And the fact that he got a second chance so quickly is the reason that it upsets me because you begin to look at him and go, not only like, what is it that you do? What is it that you do well? And I, I don't well, have an this answer. Is what he did well. He teamed up with one of the best quarterbacks that we've ever seen. That's what he did well. He found the right quarterback to, 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 to kind of ride on his coattail. Peyton Manning is literally known as a coach on the field, and we gave Adam Gase credit for him throwing for 50 yep. touchdowns and 5,000 yards. That's what he did. Thank you, Peyton. Adam Gase is probably giving him and, half his And Jay Cutler's best year of his career. Too. There you go. That reminds me of what you said earlier in this podcast about the 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 executive who worked at Amazon. So you know they get a, a really high paying job somewhere else because they worked at Amazon. It's like, were you the person that was causing Amazon to be the uh, trillion dollar company that it is, or were you just someone that was working there during a boom? I was time? a driver. That's who I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's tough. You guys got anything else? Oh. Uh, let's talk about this. We're going to have Rodrigo Blankenship coming up a little bit later, uh, joining us for an interview. Uh, I do want to get into Jalen Hurts uh, before the game tonight just to make a quick prediction. But, Ingber, you had something? Yeah, because I think the NFL needs something equivalent to a Cy Young Award because the quarterback wins the MVP every year. And it's just it, you have to basically rush for 2,800 yards for a running back to win MVP. So let's just have officially two separate awards where there's the quarterback award and then there's the everyone else award. Yeah, I feel and like I it's to typically offensive player of the year. But yeah, sure. But it should be a name. They should we should actually just codify it. And I want to know from you. What should this award be called? If it's the official Cy Young of quarterbacks, is it the Bart Starr Award? Is it the Montana? What should it be? When, why do you, why do you call why do you, why did you keep referencing Cy Young? What's the reference there? Well, that pitchers they win their own separate award, and then MVP goes to someone that isn't just because baseball is acknowledging oh. that it's impossible to compare the best. Oh, you know, so Mike you're Trout saying put the quarterbacks into their own award and then leave the MVP up for everybody else? 
That's what I'm saying. Yes. Mm. Well, the quarterback award. Has See, to I thought be, you were going to go the opposite. Well, the quarterback award has to be the Brady Award when he retires. I mean that that's what that's what that okay. should be because he's the greatest of all. See, I was going to go the opposite and create the Barry Sanders Memorial Award for everyone that's not a quarterback. Guys that carry their team with no fucking help is when I think of that. I think of that's Barry Sanders. Right there. I like that. I like Barry. Didn't win enough games or playoffs for that matter. But yeah, that, that he would be the example of that. There's no doubt about it. I just think that we all acknowledge that quarterbacks have an inherent advantage in terms of their value to their team. That Tom Brady is... He receives the ball on every single play and decides to hand it off or throw it or make the reads. It's just we, we acknowledge that quarterbacks are in a different category when we're when we're evaluating value to a team than they are with running backs or wide receivers or tight ends or, you know, even like an Aaron Donald type guy. I just I think they should be separate awards. And uh, yeah, I, I think they should have flashy names and cool, cool trophies, just like in hockey. I like it. I like well, it. Hockey I'm leads the world in cool trophies. <laughs> yes, they do. Um. Okay, we're recording this Monday. Westbrook, how many throws does Jalen Hurts attempt against the Seahawks? Five. Five throws. Five. Ingber, will you take over or under five throws for Jalen Hurts? I'll take the under. That's where I was leaning to. Bad weather, um, too. Rainy and cold and windy. I'm playing the Seahawks defense in fantasy. <laughs> as you should. I mean, yeah, as you should. I this is I will say that the Eagles the last few years, when they feel like they're dead, is when they come alive. Um, but I just I got I said that the last few weeks, like ah, oh, this is the game that ah, oh, this every the odds are stacked against us. We're the underdogs now, and it's been a reason why. So yeah. I will say my prediction for the game is that the Eagles surprisingly keep Russell Wilson in check until DK Metcalf breaks one loose. Uh, I'm going to say that the Seahawks win a tight one. Uh, I'm going to make it 20 to 13. Um, and I will say that Jalen Hurts will throw four passes. Mm. That will be my, I'll go, I'll go right underneath Westbrook, but I'm, I would love if the Eagles trotted out Hertz as the starting quarterback for one play and then like, just, Oh, the place would the, the city of Philadelphia would explode. The Eagles are in such a bad position with their quarterback. They just, they just paid the kid. They can't get out the contract and he's been terrible until, yeah. Until after next year. Yeah. So, I mean, there's no answer, which is the reason why you draft the quarterback there. Um, the rumblings in the city have all been all about Jeffrey Lurie, the owner, being upset um, and, and disappointed. He said that he didn't go to the Cleveland game because they were playing so bad, has left practices because they've been practicing so bad. Um, wow. You know, that he, 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 there was going to be some major changes if this thing gets ugly tonight is, is what's been reported there in Philadelphia. Um, I, don't, I heard a rumor that Doug Peterson would be okay if he got let go. Well, I, I, I think Doug is in a situation where he doesn't have much control over things besides play calling. So, you know, when you talk about playing different guys, doing different things, making other decisions within the organization. Um, Wait, he doesn't get to – you're telling me Doug Peterson doesn't have control over, like, who's playing more? I think that he – when his quarterback is struggling, and I, and I don't have any confidence that Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz yeah, yeah. see eye to eye, he would obviously like to go to somebody else. 
And when you give a guy a contract and you can't get rid of him, you can't go to somebody else. And I think the powers that be are saying, well, listen, <laughs> make it work. Make Carson better. And Doug is like, he's not listening to me. He's not, he's not changing. This is who he is. It'll be, you know what? If it goes bad on Monday night, this is going to be the week of coaches calling out their quarterbacks. This is, this is, it's like, it's because coaches start to feel the pressure and eventually you got to look at somebody else and go, dude, this guy is kicking my ass right now. Um, Fun conversation. We're at a fun point of the year where the playoff picture is starting to get developed. Uh, Brian Westbrook, just an absolute stud. I look at you and I go, you are aging gracefully. You got this like salt and pepper thing going on. A lot of pepper, a lot of salt now. Used to be a lot of pepper, a lot of salt. Mm. <laughs> uh, for Brian Westbrook. You know, I'm the Rocket Man, and I and I I have to I have to say this, and I think it's the. It, you know what it is? It's the it's the. You know, it's that. <laughs> I, I do want to say this, and I think it, it, it certainly reminded me at the time of Thanksgiving how grateful I was. And I, I mentioned this last week, but just even being around the family for the the little bit of family that you can be around. Um, make sure you take advantage of that because there are times in, in life. And I look back at pictures last year and I, I think I shared with you guys, I lost my aunt um, in September this year, but last year in Thanksgiving, I went home, one of the podcasts, she was in the hospital and the holidays are the time that you miss these moments. And just, I just want to remind everybody, make the most of it. Don't hold the grudges. Try your best to try to repair those relationships because you know, we don't know when our time is going to come and when our family is going to come. So I enjoyed my family. I'm sure you guys enjoyed your Thanksgiving as well, as best we could. Um, but make sure that you're absolutely grateful for everything that you have because we're so blessed to be able to hear, to be here to doing what we do. So that's all I wanted to say. Facts. That was beautiful. For David Ingber. We joke around in this podcast about cooking a lot, but honestly, if I could be pretty sincere for a moment, cooking is one of my absolute favorite ways to spend time with my family, to nourish my daughter, to give food to my wife. It's something that really makes me happy. And if you're out there, if you're one of the millions of people that's nervous about baking or cooking, I just, I'm here to tell you, you pecan. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to give us something good. This was great, actually. We appreciate you. <laughs> I, I'm just sitting here and I'm, I'm, I'm going, God, Westbrook hit the emotional heartstrings and here comes Ingber. He's just going to hammer it home and then pull the rug right from under me. Uh, I am the L-E-F-K-O-E man. And I will just say to everybody, there is always this collective feeling as we get towards December where everybody goes, I'm going to get my shit together. I'm going to, I'm going to organize my life. I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out so that 2021 can be great. And what I'm going to say to everybody right now is grab a fucking pen and grab a piece of paper. And I've said this with Ingber before and do it in November. Don't write down your goals. Don't write down whatever. I don't have a kid, but what I, what I'm going to write down this week is How would you want your son or daughter to be? What would be the attributes that you would want them to have? I want you to write it all down. How would they be with people? How would they be with work ethic? Look at it and then realize that if you're not that person, they will never be that person. So that's what I'll, I'll end it with that. It's something I'm going to do this week. I always end up making what my plans are going to be. You can't accomplish the future 
until you master the present. You too, pecan. Okay. Love you guys. For Ingmar, for Westbrook, I'm left. Go holler. Here's Rodrigo Blankenship. It is now my joy, my honor, and my privilege to welcome in not just a kicker in the NFL, not just the young kicker in the NFL, but a kicker with the greatest merchandise that I have seen in a long time, Hot Rod, Rodrigo Blankenship. I'm showing the shirt right now. My man, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you guys so much for having me today, and I appreciate you uh, repping the merch. I appreciate you being so into it. It's, uh, it's great to be here. <laughs> it's good, man. You lo- it's got like some Iron Man swag to it. Oh, yeah. I mean, Iron Man is my favorite superhero, and so I knew when we – when we were thinking about, you know, trying to start up the merch, we had to find a way to incorporate him. So I was really glad we were able to put that design together. And yeah, just really glad that it's all all coming together and that everybody's loving it. Yeah, you got this shirt, you got the specs where it kind of looks like an eye chart. Where can people go again if they'd like to cop some of this? Yeah, they can go to RodrigoBlankenship.shop and mm. find it all there. Uh, we've got lots of stuff, um, you know, lots of different designs. We've also got them in uh, Indy and now Athens, uh, colorways, you know, for all the dog fans out there that still want to be able to rep the red and black and, you know, have me in it as well. We've got some more, uh, Georgia themed options added now as well. I love that. I'm going to use this opportunity to talk about myself. Uh, I have a fantasy team that after tonight, no matter what happens, I will be moving into first place of my league and the kicker of that team from the beginning until now, has been you, Rodrigo Blankenship. So much so that I named my team after you, Rodrigo Fuck Yourself. And I've never been more proud of it in my entire life. So thank you, Rodrigo. Oh, man. I mean, first of all, I guess I should just say I'm honored to to be on your fantasy team. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I hope that we can, uh, you know, I hope that I can just continue to, to help out your team in whatever ways I can, you know, obviously trying to help out the Colts and help, help us to win some games. But yeah, if I can, if I can help out the fantasy team, then, you know, that's no, I'm not, not even the fantasy team. I just love that. When I beat my friends from home, they see Rodrigo fuck yourself. That's the best part. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. It's, it's crazy, man. It's, it's crazy to have, have been a part of fantasy drafts and fantasy leagues, you know, going through middle school, high school and college and, you know, drafting, you know, all my favorite players to play against, you know, teammates and friends. And now people are telling me like, you know, I'm picking you. It's crazy to be on the other end of the table now. It's, it's very cool to watch because everything about your journey feels really new to you. You know, like the walk on mentality or 1% better every day. Everything about you screams, I'm going to do as well in the present as I can. And I think those are typically the people that enjoy the journey the most. So how much are you enjoying the journey thus far? Yeah. I mean, it's been incredible. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, you talk about the, the walk on mentality and, um, we have that on some of the, um, some of the merchandise that's out, um, you know, it's, it's kind of felt like going to Georgia all over again, um, being a walk on at Georgia and, you know, being undrafted, uh, you know, coming into the league, it's felt like a very similar situation where, um, you know, I guess no one really 
expected me to be there. Um, and I, you know, I just feel like I have to go out and prove every single day, one day at a time that I deserve to be there, that, you know, I am good enough that I, I can be on the same field with, with all these other pros. Um, you know, and so I think that, you know, I've kind of had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder in that way to just be like, I have to go out, you know, and I'm, I'm on a mission every single day, uh, to deliver the best I can. Um, but you know, I think that's also been a way that I can enjoy it. Um, because it is a dream come true, you know, it's something that I've been working very hard for, for a very long time. And I've had so many, you know, family members and friends that have supported me and done everything that they can to help me reach this level. And, you know, so there's just been a whole lot that's gone into it. Now I'm, you know, now, now we're here and, and making it happen. And, uh, so it really is a dream come true. And I just have to remind myself that every single day that, you know, like you're, you're literally living a dream. That's awesome. Uh, did you enjoy being a part, not of a dream, but of a meme where you and DK Metcalf, where people were saying the NFL, where these two guys are in the city? Did you enjoy that meme? <laughs> yeah, I did enjoy it. I mean, what people don't know is that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not jacked like DK Metcalf, but, you know, I like to think I'm not like the scrawniest guy. I mean, compared to most of my other teammates, they, you know, they definitely got something on me, but um, you know, I like, I like to think that I'm in pretty good shape. You know, we had all of our measurements taken at the uh, NFL combine and I was like 9% body fat or less than 9% body fat. So, you know, I'm in, I'm in pretty good shape myself, but yeah, I mean, DK Metcalf, he's just a freak and you know, it's, it, it is crazy to think, you know, you've got, you know, NFL players of all, all shapes and sizes, uh, you know, that are, that are doing the same job. And, uh, and it's, it's really crazy and re really crazy to be here. It happens to me. So I host the Tuesday show and I'm often standing next to Shaquille O'Neal and I get people in my mentions that are like, you're so tiny. What are you five, five? And I'm like, no, I'm standing next to Shaq. This is not comparable. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I mean, we, we've got, we've got some, some monsters here, you know. I mean, you it. saw Derrick Henry on Sunday. That's got to be a scary dude to see running down the field. Yeah, yeah, Derrick Henry is another one. I mean, he's he is a beast. I mean, he's just a, a beast of a human being and, uh, you know, is, is really good at what he does. Um, you know, there, there's a reason why, uh, you know, he's leading the league in, in rushing yards right now. You know, he's a, he, he's a, he's just a freak and an absolute monster. Um, you know, I – walked in and the first day I saw like DeForest Buckner, I was like, oh man, that's right. Like that's what, that's what NFL players look like these days. You know, like everybody is just like six six two ninety and can still run a four six forty. Like it's, it's insane. <laughs> um, I, I want to ask a personal question. First, are you girlfriend? What, what's your significant other status right now? Yeah. Uh, girlfriend. Uh, her name okay. is Logan and we've been together for going on four and a half years. The reason I ask is I saw on a post recently that you tried to meet her through email. What were you trying to do here, man? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So we met in an English class that we had together uh, the summer after our freshman year. And over the course of the semester, we had to write essays together. And when we wrote essays, our professor randomly paired us up with other classmates to peer review the rough drafts of each other's essays. And so we got paired up together for our first essay and for the last essay at the end of the semester. And so when I sent her the email 
for my my peer edits at the end of the semester for her last paper and said, you know, here's the edits for, you know, for your last essay. I hope these help. In that email, I asked her out. And so that was that was how, you know, our, our relationship kind of got started was me asking her out in an email at the end of the semester. And was did she respond yes? Was it like reply yeah. sure? <laughs> no, she responded. Um, she 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 responded and said that she was actually, you know, wanting to that she had wanted to make the first move and, and was, you know, trying to build up the, the courage to do it to ask me out. Um, but I, you know, I, I beat her to the punch, I guess, a little bit. And so she responded at the end of her email back to me with her phone number, but it was the wrong phone number. And, you know, I was, I was nervous. I was nervous when I sent her mine saying, you know, like, would you want to go out with me? And so I sent it and I was like, I can't think about this. Like, I got to go to bed. So I shut down my laptop. I went to bed and I was like, I'll just see if she replied to it in the morning. And so she sent me her first email back with the wrong phone number. And then she got worried. She was like, oh man, like what happened? Did, like, did he not want to go through with it? And then she went back and realized that it was the wrong number and then sent me a new one that had the correct phone number in it like the next morning. So but yeah, that it, is, it all worked out. That <laughs> is the, the icing, the kicker of relationships. She That's sent right. the fake <laughs> phone number, not the real phone number. I like that. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was awesome. I ended up working out. We ended up going to a, a Thai place for our first date. And then we both found out that we hated Thai. So then we <laughs> decided after that to never go back. <laughs> oh, I love that. Uh, I noticed, uh, I'm not the only one wearing this shirt because you went to Georgia. You got some very big fans, including, including Ric Flair, yeah. uh, to, to see Ric Flair wearing a shirt with your animated face on it, what does that do to you? <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it's unreal. Um, it's beyond anything that I, you know, ever could have imagined growing up. You know, you always dream about playing in the NFL, but, you know, I guess you never really think about anything outside of that. And so, you know, when we got started with the merchandise and, you know, um, I, um, my people with, with the agency were talking about trying to promote it and, you know, get the word out during the launch or like, you know, like, do you have any famous people that we can send this to, you know, to try and start to, you know, get some, get it in front of some more eyeballs. And, and I was like, well, I know Ric Flair a little bit from Georgia. And they were like, you know, Ric Flair, he's got 2 million followers. Like, let's try and connect with him. So I was like, yeah, sure. Let's do it. So, um, so I, I hit him up and, you know, I was like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm about to start a merchandise line. You know, would it be cool if we sent you some stuff and you could potentially give us a shout yeah. out on your on your social media? And he was like, "Yeah, I'd love to, dude." And I'm gonna I'm gonna send you some stuff of mine. And I was like, "Perfect, we'll just do a nice little swap here." So so I sent him some of my swag. He sent me back his new uh, Adidas Dame Lillard Ric Flair shoes. They just did a little yes. collab, and so he sent them over to me with the new uh, with the new Ric Flair Adidas shirt as well. And so we just had a nice little nice little swap there but yeah it was, it's just unreal to to see him with it and i also just got these uh socks today to Ooh. Go, to go with them, the little nature boy socks to go with, with the shoes that's awesome well. i actually think that i sent those exact socks to travis kelsey one time i was like you really need these socks. <laughs> so those socks are awesome i i yeah I, um different different thing here I, everyone loves to i feel like they have to ask you about the specs i myself wore rec specs uh, for about a year or two, because I have 
glasses and all that. And then I eventually wore contacts. And I'm mm-hmm. curious, are you just anti-contact? You're not, you don't want to put your finger on your eyeball? Because I did the progression, you, what, what, no contacts? Yeah, I mean, when I first, you know, when it first became apparent that I was going to need uh, some correction for my vision, I tried both glasses and contacts. Um, and for whatever reason, my eyes just didn't really take well contacts. Mm. Like just get, just get super irritated and, and itchy and watery. And, you know, so when we first, you know, we first tried them, I was like, let's, I'm going to roll with glasses for now yeah. because you know, they don't, and you they can't don't go back time. now. Yeah. Um, and, and so I tried them at two or three points later on, you know, I first had to get glasses, I think in seventh grade. And so I tried to wear contacts again when I got into high school and, you know, as a freshman. And then I think again, like as a senior before I left for college, I tried them again. And, and every time they were just really irritating for my eyes for whatever reason so you know i just i just could never get used to them so we just ended up wrong listen because you clearly understand marketing with everything you're doing you you hammer this glasses thing as hard as you can and then when the time is right and that AccuView Oasis comes with that big old contact lens money check when when the <laughs> contact lobbyists come forward in eight years we can always pivot we can always adjust that's right that's right, that's right. We, we gotta roll the punches right now <laughs> um, when, when there's a game you had two weeks ago, the, the green Bay game winning kick, um, I'm sure that there have been plenty of times where you've lined up in practice and gone, this is a game winner. This is going to be the kick. How much different is it in game versus all of the, and I know that you've done it in Georgia and is there a difference between, so my, my two questions, is there, how different is it between mentally practicing and then how different is it between college and pros, that situation? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think that the difference, you know, between the practice and the game, I think for the most part is just, you know, like the other team um, is not there. You know, for, for the most part, when we're doing that in practice, most of the time when we have like game winner type simulations, we're either doing it just as a specialist group or – we're doing it, you know, with our team, but our field goal block team is not going max effort because we want to make sure that we get the full operation and get the kick off. Right. And so when you get in the game, you know, you know the other team is coming with their max block. And so you know that you've got to be sharp with your snap, hold the kick. You've got to get your operation in under 1.3 seconds. Otherwise, someone's going to be in your face to block it. Um, you know, so I think that that's just the main difference is like, you know, there's there's a different element to – you know, the kind of rush that, that you're going to get from the other side. And, um, you know, being an effective kicker means being able to acknowledge that it's there, you know, so you can, you know, you can accept it as part of, part of that experience and part of that opportunity in, you know, in that particular situation and then be able to move past it and focus back in on, you know, on everything that you have to do. Um, so I'd say that's the biggest difference there. And then, I mean, the biggest difference between college and pro, at least for my particular experience has been the lack of fans. Um, Oh yeah, for sure. Being in Georgia for four years, you know, all of our home games, we sell out with 90, 93,000 people. And then, you know, we played in the, you know, played in the Rose bowl and that was crazy. We we played against Tennessee. They had over a hundred thousand people, you know, so, you know, we had some really big games with a lot of fans and it, you know, blaring the entire game. But then we've had some games this year, like when we played Chicago and Detroit, where there was almost zero fans. Or I think in Detroit, they were limiting to like 
basically play our friends and family. Does that that has them. to make it super easy, right? I mean, in comparison. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really it's really different. I think that you know it's all it's a little bit of a challenge because it's so drastically different from what we're used to. I mean, even compared to a previous NFL season, you know, all these guys that have been in the league you know, since last year, they're still used to at least, you know, 60, 70,000 fans in the stands. Yeah. And that's way different from the most that we can have right now, which I think is like 12,000 in most people's cases. I think there's a couple stadiums that can do like 17,5, but you know, for the most part, it's just really different. And so it's, it's weird because it's not like practice because practice is still way quieter, but it's not like a game with mm. full, you know, full audience volume the entire time. So it's it's a it's a weird middle ground to be in where there's kind of some some vibes and some energy in the stadium, but you know nowhere close to either end of the spectrum from what you'd expect. Um, so that's been the biggest difference going from from college to pro has been the decrease in yeah. you know kind of like the energy and and the pressure that you might feel from the fans. What uh, you're going to kind of have two rookie seasons. You're going to have a rookie season without fans. Then you're going to have a rookie season when they all come back, and it's going to be two wildly different experiences, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I, I know that you were talking about the specialist group. Uh, there was some news today with your punter Rigoberto Sanchez. I believe that it was a cancerous tumor that was removed. I just I want to know. I, I can only imagine how tight you guys are. Um, how, how, what was it like to get the news and, and how do you support your friend and partner in, in something like this? Yeah. I mean, uh, Rigo has been incredible. Um, you know, he's, you know, I think he's, he's one of the ab absolute best punters in the league. He's, you know, he's Mr. Consistent. He's rock steady every single game. You know, we can, we can count on him to deliver when we need him to, um, you know, and, and he was very welcoming to me, him and Luke were, you know, very welcoming to me when, uh, you know, word came out that I was going to be the guy, you know, they, they backed me a hundred percent from day one and they're like, you know, you're our guy. So, you know, let's get you ready to go. And so, you know, they've both been, been incredible. And, uh, you know, Rigo's just been a really great friend and, and mentor for me. You know, he's been someone that I can talk to about anything, um, you know, whether that be looking for an engagement ring or looking for places to eat around town or, you know, just, you know, trying to become a better pro and learning, you know, how to be able to handle, uh, you know, the competition at this level, um, you know, and, and so he's been really great, and really incredible for me and in my process so far. Um, and, you know, and, you know, I'm just praying for all the best for him. You know, I think that that's all that we can do right now is, is you know, just pray that it's going to be, uh, you know, as, as minimal as possible and that he's going to be able to recover as quickly as he can and, and get back in the fold. You know, he's uh, an, an integral part of this team. And, you know, I think that we're all really just going to be hoping and praying that, uh, we get the best from the situation and then he can get back with us as soon as possible. Prayers up, man. We are going to have him in our prayers as well. I think, uh, it, I mean, it's crazy that you, you, you came in after Vinatieri. We talk all the time about legacies and all that stuff. Who was there a guy that you watched a lot growing up? Was there one, uh, kicker that you kind of thought, I just like the style that this guy has. Um, I mean, it wasn't just one, um, but Adam Adam was one of them. There was really three guys that uh, you know that I looked at a lot growing up. Um, it was Adam, Justin Tucker, and Stephen Goskowski. Um, and you know, all three of those guys, um, you know, were guys that I followed for a very long time. You know, looking at their at their technique, trying to study them, see what they did because you know they're three of the best in the game. 
Um, and, you know, so it was, uh, you know, it was great. Hey, can you actually, cause I, I've had a chance mm-hmm. to talk to Tucker. Can you put into perspective as a professional kicker, what he is as a weapon on a football field? I mean, it's tough. Cause I mean, you, I mean, as soon as the Ravens hit the 45 yard line, they're in field goal range, you know, like they're, they're not afraid to send him out there for 60 plus yarders. And, you know, as a defense, it's something that's like, you know, we really got to keep them on their own half of the field. Otherwise they could still come away with three points at any given time. Um, you know, and I, I don't think that you can say enough about, about that, you know, just about how special he is. I mean, I think he's a, you know, NFL career leader in field goal percentage and, uh, you know, assuming he plays enough years, you know, I'm sure he'll, he'll break every record there is in the books that a kicker can break. Um, you know, and so it was been really special to be able to study him and watch him growing up and then got to play against him and meet him and, and talk it up with him after the game this past, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago was a really special opportunity for me as a young kicker, uh, you know, to get to go face to face with him. So I wanted to do a Jersey swap with Justin Tucker after the game. And so, you know, I, I talked to him, I was like, you know, would it be okay if I got your Jersey? And he was like, yeah, dude, absolutely. But you got to send me yours too. So I was like, sure like that's yeah that's cool and so i talked to my equipment managers the next day and i was like hey i need my jersey so i can swap it with tucker and they're like all right we'll wash it and throw it in your locker with a sharpie if you want to write anything on it and we'll send it to him so i said all right you know that's cool and so i did i wrote a little letter a thing on the numbers and signed it gave it back and said send it out and then i was telling logan later that night like i'm gonna do a jersey swap with justin tucker and she was like was that your first ever Jersey? Like your first ever NFL Jersey? And I was like, uh, maybe because when we played the Jags, they were white at home. And so we wore our blue jerseys, but we played the Ravens at home and I hadn't, I hadn't swapped with anybody else up to that point. And so that was like my first, the Jersey I played my first NFL game, man, that I am now swapping with Justin oh. Tucker. So <laughs> that felt like a, Wait, have you, have you already sent yeah, it? I, re- I already sent it. I sent it like the week after we played him. And, you know, I think he's sending me his back. So we're, we're waiting on that. We haven't gotten it yet, but we're waiting on Justin to send his back. But, but yeah, no, after. So Justin is sitting there with your first jersey of yeah, all time. Basically. So, man, you know what? You should be like, hey, can you send yeah, it back? So, so I want to give um, you a better so one. <laughs> Even though I already signed it. <laughs> what you don't know is he's the most sentimental uh, person ever. Like he'll have like, like a tissue, and I'm like, "Can I throw this away?" And he'll be like, "No, I use that to blow my nose at the Rose Bowl. We have to keep it." Man, so yeah, we yeah. were like, when I was like, "You just gave away your like for true rookie jersey." He was so devastated. I was a lot devastated. <laughs> at the same, like, at the same point. At the same point, if someone ever asks, well, where's your first jersey? And you say, at Justin exactly. Tucker's house. They, be like, they oh. have to be friends. So Rod can be like, hey, can I come see my jersey? <laughs> yeah, there's that. And then also what you, what you could do is you could uh, eventually launch the Rodrigo Blankenship Museum. And you can just say it's at Justin Tucker's house. And maybe people will just go to his house just to look at your jersey. Just to look just at to it. Just check out his jersey. He can, get, he can get a little kickback from it. That's right. Yeah. An admission fee. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. He gets like two dollars a person. So af- after after we played Green Bay and I hit the game winner, like as soon as we got in the locker room, I was like, I need to keep this jersey. I am not making that same mistake twice. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, if you gave that to Mason Crosby, you would have come on. That would have been an issue. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. We only had awesome. just the one rookie moment there. So it's all good. That is so funny. <laughs> oh, yeah. Thank you for sharing that story. I am now going to send this T-shirt to Justin Tucker to commemorate our first interview. So thank you very much. Oh, yeah, much. no problem. <laughs> Last question, because it sounds like it's dinner time in the Blanco house. You notice how I said Blanco? It's because earlier today, as I was getting ready, I started listening to some of these raps. And I'm going to be honest, I was very into it. Are we going to get a new LP from you? Are we going to get a new album in an off season? You know, you, DeForest Buckner, uh, Michael Pittman, you get in the studio Will we get more music from Blanco? Oh, man. I don't know. I mean, I, I really thought it was just going to be, you know, one and done. Um, I had a really great time making that with uh, a couple friends that um, Logan, my girlfriend, introduced to me when we were at Georgia, um, Jeremy and Akil. Uh, you know, I, I had a really great time making that song with them. Jeremy kind of showed me the ropes a little bit about, you know, how to – not sound like a complete loser <laughs> making your first rap song. And, uh, and I had, a, I had a whole lot of fun making that. Um, uh, but I, I don't know. I really don't know if there's any other guys on the team that are interested in doing something and, and you know, they reach out to me because they heard it and don't think that I suck. Then yeah, maybe there could be more in the future, but I don't think it's going to be coming from Blanco as the main artist. It'd probably just be a feature. Well, you got my brain thinking now as you're talking, and I'm thinking about what other guys in the NFL are known for putting out rap songs. And I'm thinking if, let's say, the Colts make a run and you're going to face the Chiefs, let's not forget that Le'Veon Bell tried to drop something. And maybe the week of, you drop a little diss track, you get in his head, he's too busy thinking about lines, he misses a block. W for the Colts. I'm just saying this could be a big win for the football. I mean, you're not wrong. It could happen. I mean, there's there's layers there's layers to the strategy. You know, you can there any any way you can win. You know, that's 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 good stuff. I'm gonna have to learn that going forward. Dude, if you just started dropping diss tracks the week of big games, people would lose their fucking mind. <laughs> Oh man, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's Don't awesome. do it. Focus. <laughs> uh, well, listen, if you want to join up and we do some more marketing talks, I'm down. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the fantasy points. Thank you for just being a good guy that is sending people merch and having a fun journey and not taking it too serious. We really appreciate at, appreciate you at the Left Go Show, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. This has been a ton of fun. Rodrigo Blankenship, good guy, good lady. Ingber, come on real quick as we wrap this episode up. Um, my only question for you was, did he openly say 
that the punter was helping him look for engagement rings in front of his girlfriend. That was my biggest thing that I was thinking about was he goes, he's helping me shop for engagement rings. And I was like, you just said that was your girlfriend. So I'm very People have different ways of discussing it. Some people know that they're going to do a proposal like months and months earlier. You know, they, it doesn't have to be super secretive cloak and dagger the whole time. I, maybe they have a plan and good for them. They seem like a wonderful young couple. I, I know for me that if my now fiance found out that I was asking a punter what to get my girlfriend, I don't think she'd be too abused. She's like, that's why I have my sister. Uh, but man, what a, what a good kid. He feels like a kid. He feels like a child in the NFL happens though when you enter your mid-30s where now all these guys that are coming in the league were born 15 years after you and you're saying like oh that's actually a new generation of guys this I, I knew this would happen at some point it just it happens so slowly it's like boiling the frog you don't know it until it happens and then all of a sudden you're like an entire generation removed from new athletes one thing i do love i love when athletes have marketing brain i love when athletes go what can i do with this and i there's something about specialty guys from indianapolis Pat McAfee, now this guy, they just understand media and I like it. I do have one nugget of news that literally just came across as we're recording this outro, which is that Will Fuller apparently, reportedly, has been suspended six games for a PED violation, which I'm not entirely sure. He's saying he sought treatment from a medical professional, prescribed medication he believes to be permitted under the NFL's drug policy. Just some news as we wrap up this episode. Great talking to Westbrook. Great talking to Ingber. Unfortunate news there at the end. However, Rodrigo Blankenship, the kicker of the podcast. And again, check out his match, his merch at RodrigoBlankenship.shop. It's pretty good, right? I like it. I like it a but lot. Look, I, any t-shirt that fits the shoulders well, I'm a fan of. Good shoulder. Okay. Have a great one day, everybody. Peace. Peace.